Welcome back to another episode of the Late Night Show, brought to you by the Knights of Last Call. I'm Derek, joined by Bob and Aaron. Hey, we are all back, and we are excited to be here. And uh, you know, looking forward to uh, to a great podcast. I got. I think we have some interesting topics that uh, that we're going to cover today. Oh, good. A couple things that I want to talk about. This is really going to be a Bob centric episode. So if you're uh, if you're a oh. Bob fan, I didn't even know I was the center of this one. I guess I'll leave now. Then that's that fun. That makes it exciting. Probably but more critique of Bob. But uh, but first things first. <laughs> we've got uh, what do we got poured here today, Aaron? This is Jameson Black Barrel Triple Distilled Irish Whiskey. Great. I do love the bl- I love the JMO. It's really good. Cheers. Cheers. Salute, boys. Mm. A little ASMR. Yeah, it's good. It's like Jameson, but smooth. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like even the normal Jameson, but it's good. It's pretty good. Yeah, but like, good. you know, when you're drinking the normal stuff, you're like, cool, I'm in my 20s and I'm shit faced. This is like, I'm a sophisticated adult now. That's good. I've made it. I've... We are part of a multi dollar YouTube channel. <laughs> Only the best for oh, us. Yes. <laughs> Only the best. For Only us. the best for us. Um, <clears throat> yes, you guys get cigars. <laughs> By the way, if you're a fan, I do love a good cigar. If you are a fan of the podcast and you're not aware of this, we uh, we do have a YouTube channel uh, called Knights of Last Call where we um, play games, we talk about games, we do some live streams where we also talk about games and play games. A lot of Pathfinder too, but you know we're uh, we're branching out into a lot of our other hobbies and interests, which is great, and I'm very excited to see that. And so I encourage you to check us out, youtube.com slash Knights of Last Call. And that all drives into the Patreon, which is on the Discord mostly, and that's where we talk about games, yes, play that's games. Right. That's right, that's right. <laughs> what else Even happens more on so. the Patreon? Yeah. Oh, oh well, Northern Reaches? Well, Bob, what's Northern Reaches? Yeah, that sounds interesting. Oh, so Northern Reaches is like like a West Marches MMO-style campaign where we are, basic, we are playing PF2 and uh, Pathfinder 2, where we have... 10 plus GMs and 30 plus players. I don't know what they're... It's probably higher than We're that. We're actually at 50 now, boys. 50 plus players. 50 players, 50 players. and Playing in an ever-expanding uh, world. Yep. Sorry, we're, we are in Galarian in a sense, but we are in our own sort of map we region. Have, we've got our own region um, in Galarian that we're and sort we, of And we have a couple zones and we're expanding out and the things that are happening in these zones affect the things that are happening. And so a GM can run a game and the consequences or actions of the players not only just affect them, but they can affect the other players as well. Yep. Um, I had a GM reach out to me and was asking about my campaign just recently that I ran. Your adventure. Uh, s- sorry. Yeah, my adventure that I was running. And he was wondering if he should slide some tropes into his that maybe tie into mine. And that's that's exactly what we're talking right. about. Uh, he was I believe we clocks. had some cultists doing yes. some sort of evil resurrection. Yes. And- Many of the other players in Northern Reaches are concerned about what this may mean for them. Well, and yes. I think, you know, and I, I think it's really cool is that, um, you know, I, one of the things I like about playing role-playing games, especially ones that are more collaborative and sort of more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, you know, not predetermined, right? Um, your sort of emergent style play. You know, you get to bounce the ideas off of three or four players and along with your GM, you know, you, the GM, or, or even if you're a player, it's only three or four or five of you. But now it's 40 people, 50 people, yeah. right? And so you, you kind of come up with these wildly crazy different ideas. And I think that's really, you know, I think that's really cool. I think that's really exciting. Um, but it's, it's weird. It, what's more than that, it's, it's a little weird. So I am not used to being in GM. You guys are. So I'm sort of dipping my toe in the water here. And it was awesome. I felt, me, me and Aaron talked about this, I felt like I could be so creative and right. like really yeah, so, do what I wanted to. But here's the weird thing. Okay. Now I'm sort of, it's different than just being a GM. Yeah. In Northern Region. Now someone is coming to me. I have to sort of give them the <laughs> reins. It's a little different. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah. are you okay with someone taking your 
idea and then running with it maybe in a different direction yeah. because that's how this world's flowing. So that is something I... Not, I'm not used to gymming. I'm not used to definitely doing that. Right. So it's so, two different totally things. So in part one of the podcast, uh, I want to talk about Bob. Okay. Okay. I want to talk about uh, you recently ran your Pathfinder 2 game for mm-hmm. the community. And uh, you're also running a 5e game. I am. Okay. And I want to talk about what your experience DMing is like. Okay. Uh, and GMing. And what are some of your... I will caveat that. with the When I play Northern Reaches with Pathfinder 2... These are very experienced players, great. and 5e is with brand new people that are more like a beer and pizza league. Correct. So you have a great degree of, okay. uh, yeah, of a, a good range. A good range. But I, I kind of want to dig into that. And then for part two of the podcast, you know, if you want to stay tuned, I want to talk about Dungeon World. And I want to talk about Dungeon World because I know you had a chance to play it last Friday. Yeah. And I'm all I, over the place now. So, so you're all you're, you're you know you're, you're it's your first step into a brave new world. So I do want to talk about that. So let's start with part one. Okay. Uh, this is the story of Bob. Oh gosh. All right, Bob. So um, let's get into it. What, um, you know, I mean, maybe avoid the worst of spoilers, but feel free to, you know, expand a little bit here. But I want to hear. So how have you enjoyed you you GM? Let's let's focus on Pathfinder 2. But, you know, because that's more a little bit more um, with experienced players. Mm -hmm. But even from a 5e perspective, how's it been? Uh, The PF2 thing was awesome. Uh, GMing was was fantastic. You know, I was a little nervous going into it because, again, I. I'm more used to being a player, and there are some things I guess I feel like I don't know, and I always get nervous that I'm sort of going to be called out on it or something. Nervous about not knowing the rules? Correct. Yeah, more like, oh, I I didn't know that. Oh, like, oh, I should have known that because I'm this expert. Um, But uh, Do you feel like you need to be an expert? No, no. That's, I think, the feeling I get, though, is that I'm being sort of called out. It's almost like you're the GM. You're in charge. That's reasonable. But you're getting called out like— Did anybody call you out? No, actually, well, again, we just have such a good— Community, I think that in the, in the Patreon and the Discord, everyone was so helpful. Sure. Um, the well, biggest issues we had were more that I am not the best at GMing on Foundry, and so like GM mm-hmm. Scott, one of the players uh, that I had, he is really good at it, and he they'd be like, "Oh, it's up here. Click this button, and then we're good." Sure. Almost very ever did it come to like you're running that a little strange. Though I did throw an adventure or a, uh, an uh, encounter out that was a, a extreme plus. Um, uh, that was an accident on my part where I had thought the um, skeleton champions were level creature one. Yeah. And they were creature two. Whew, okay. Oof. So I was, when I did my read, when I did all my XP encounters, I'm like, okay, these are creature one. So this is a 120. This is XP fight. This is just a regular severe fight. No big deal. Threw them in there. And they start fighting and they're getting walloped. And they were like, this is, Bob is bloodthirsty. This is, a, <laughs> this is, this is quite the, quite the task. And I'm like, yeah, I, it's not that bad. It's only a severe fight. And then... Uh, well, to be clear, a severe fight is bad. Is bad. But uh, one of the players goes, wait a second, those are creature two. You're talking about these are skeleton champions? I'm like, no, they're supposed to be creature one. He goes, pretty sure they're creature two, Bob. And I was like, well, let me take a look. I'm like, they are creature two. He's like, yeah, so that's not... Uh, that's not... A, <laughs> that's not a, that's like a 180 XP fight. Got it. And he's like, no wonder we were getting walloped. And uh, so but, they, but they, they, they retreated. But, but yeah, but, they, but no one complained. They, they were like, actually, Bob, what was funny is the way you had it set up, we actually could have fought it because they were in three different um, – there's four, four – Well, why don't, yeah, why don't yeah, you so, describe for our podcast listeners what, so what, was, your, what was your dungeon? There was, was your a adventure? tomb of Triune. Uh, you've heard rumors of it out in the lands. Uh, one of the people from North Point – Northport, Northport. – uh, went out and saw this tomb but didn't explore any further. It, it felt too creepy, but he did know there is a tomb out there, and he thinks tombs, crypts have treasure. 
So he had came back to the, the bar and said, hey, I know there's some ventures here. There's a tomb out there. Probably has some treasure. Maybe you guys should go check it out. I'm not going any further because I ain't going. What do you find out? Nothing. We don't know anything about it. So they went out to explore it. And Derek knows I love symmetry. There is a perfect symmetrical four tombs, little tombs, and one big tomb sort of forming a pentagon um, uh, in the uh, oh, in seems, this region. That seems appropriate. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's and good. three of these tombs had uh, a skeleton champion in the, uh, in the casket inside, and one of them was empty and that had a secret that they had to figure out. Now what they did what they did do didn't do was they, they tripped the, the secret and all the skeletons rose and they all came out. Now they But see I think that's fine. Yeah. In fact actually I think that's kinda cool. I think that's very cool. So actually that's what happened and they got onslaughted. Yeah. Because it shows them that that wasn't that what happened was directly their yep. consequence. That's right. why I think they were okay with it. Like that hundred percent's why yep. they're yeah. okay with it. Because if the players put themselves into hot water hmm? That's, that's a, good. That's a, that's good. Yeah, you know. And then if the players see that, you know, <laughs> the guy. So I had these uh, this, this this triangle on the wall, and it had these three holes in it. He's like, obviously, something needs to go in these holes, and we, they could not move the crypt in the one tomb. So they were like, there's something with this riddle here, and so he just took his sword and just poking the holes, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that tr- that triggers the trap. All right, all right. <laughs> and he I was mean- like, he was like, oh, but he was like you. He was like, um. Action, reward action. It's like action does does stuff. Because like I'm not gonna sit here and talk about this. Let's do something. Yeah. And well, and you know what? It's funny. I was recently <laughs> looking through some old uh, Gen Con photo albums, and uh, this was uh, from uh, our first Gen Con <clears throat> that we went to. And we went to Tracy Hickman, author of Dragonlance, author of the original Ravenloft module, noted game designer, and he used to do. Um, a seminar at Gen Con. I don't know if he still does. And I don't remember exactly the name of it, but it was, you know, basically Tra- this one. This was Tracy, Hick- yeah, Tracy Hickman's philosophy on game design, yeah. you know. And basically what he said was, um, you know, like, just get on with it. You know what I mean? Like, like if if if, the, if you're going through in the dungeon and there's a you know door, blow it up, uh, you know, or kick it down, or like don't my, don't sit there and dither forever. Yep. That's what real life is for, right? You know, it's just sitting there worrying about the consequences and yeah. what's going to happen. It's I like think we play role playing games well with that. so that you know you can take these risks and not really suffer the consequences for it. It was it was pretty cool, and and they explored a little before they started touching things. They like looked at the, sure. Their, I mean, they didn't yeah. like we weren't. That's the difference. Yeah, Take, give it give it a couple minutes. Yep. You know, don't be an asshole. Don't be a troll, and just come in there and start being like, I push all the buttons. Right. Right. That's that's actually bad behavior. Yeah. And so, if I remember correctly, there was three humans and one dwarf, and the main tomb had these giant statues in front of it that were guarding it, and they had these pressure plates. And again, this someone was, someone was actually uh, thanking me for the amount of work. Like, this is my first. Sort of thing I've ever built on my own. I didn't even have help from you guys. Mm-hmm. I just all on my own. Correct. And was, there were like these four pressure plates. And as they walked across the plate, the the statue sort of moved. But when the dwarf walked across it, they it like wanted to come out and kill the dwarf. And he stepped off it and it kind of retracted itself. And these were guarding the big tomb. Oh, this all sounds very. This sounds okay. awesome. This sounds awesome. There was to a me. big big stone book. I got, in. So let's 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 okay. dig into this, Bob. Yeah. What what inspired this? Where did this come from? I don't know. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I just started thinking. Acceptable. <laughs> I, I I was like, okay, dungeon. What's a cool dungeon? I was like, I think I think <laughs> crypts, tombs. Like dwarves. these are really. Well, I love yeah. dwarves, but I said this is cool. I kind of have this idea that I want a puzzle, a, like sort of a trap puzzle, and I want to have this encounter. We are in this broken coast. It reminds me of something that could be undead. Undead is kind of like, like flavor-wise. I'm like, skeletons, crypts, tombs, perfect. And I said, 
I liked when I learned, I think, from our night school episode, which on night school on YouTube, Derek teaches me how to GM, where we talked about different ways to go forward. So there's not just only one way. Sure. In. Okay. Now they could have gone in past these animated statues. They could have fought them. Now that was over an extreme fight. They would have probably got tromped, but they could have. They could have fought that. Or right. they could have solved the, the stone tablet, which basically needed them four humans to stand on those pressure plates, and then they would have deactivated and they could have walked in. So if they and I built this without anyone knowing what the party was going to be, correct? Because this is a standalone place. I, oh, I want to stop no, there. Go, go. I love that design <laughs> because that's something that you can't do in a normal D and D game uh, or Pathfinder game, but you can do in Northern Reaches because there is fifty different players, and and and, and you know in Northern Reaches you might. Uh, depending on, on on your your rank in the Patreon, you might have more than one character. Correct. Right. Mm -hmm. So you know you might have sixty or seventy potential characters in in play, Correct. Right? right. So you have this ability to be like, hey, listen, bring four humans. Right. You can't do that in a normal game because you know what your party makeup is. Yep. Right. If you have a puzzle, you need four humans, but you know that they've been playing like an elf, halfling, human, dwarf for the last three months. You just know you're, you're just basically a jerk. You're just screwing them over. Right. Yep. But you have no idea what your party is going to be. It's going to change yeah. every time well, you run that. And, and so me... they can plan and bring in. And I've yep. seen this in the channels where they're like, we need four humans. And I think they found another puzzle yeah. where they need four dwarves. Yep. And so someone else is like, okay, I'll roll a dwarf yep. so that we can go explore that. That's and awesome. And well, was like, I'm looking for a party of dwarves. Right. Does anyone else have dwarves? Does anyone because else have a dwarf? treasure here. I love that. I love it. <laughs> I love that too. But also too, you know, it gets into something that I think is really fun about fantasy RPGs. And, um, you know, and, and it gets into it's that nonlinear outside the box problem solving. Right. Because you could just as easily be in a situation where someone goes, well, I'm not a dwarf, but I have access to the um, the uh, the sky self polymorph and I could make myself a human. Maybe that would work. Someone right. did suggest that. Did they? Yeah. Oh, that's great. And I said, you could try it. Yeah. And they tried it and I said it didn't work. Oh, you said it didn't <laughs> work? Oh, no, okay. So that I will my I will I will mark you penalties for that. Well, sorry. He did it to himself. Sure. And but he they needed four. Oh, well, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. yeah so it, it No, I am saying, but like if you had four the dwarf, non dwarves the dwarf and they all put cast... an arm on each pressure plate, and I was like, I was like, okay. And I was like, nothing happens. I'm like, that's good. Like you you pushed all four pressure plates because you're a dwarf. But like no one can do anything. Like they can't get into the place because sure. yeah. I was like, I'm like, well, I was like, I actually, and I gave him a hero point because I was like, that's super funny and creative that you were like thinking that way. And the hero points, whatever. And I was like, it's kind of cool and funny. But I'm like, yeah, you can't, you can't actually get in now. Because you know, because again, it, he couldn't get in not because he'd used that, but because they still needed four, four dwarfs. That's fine. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, one of the biggest mistakes DMs will make is they'll make something and then they'll have in their mind the solution. The solution. Yep. And then the players will come in with a solution that's totally totally something yeah. the gm never expected and the gm will shit all over it and like that's the worst thing that you could do agreed yeah you know like if if a player came i should have been like maybe if you had four of those or three of three others i mean maybe they understood that that is what was happening it wasn't enough for just one person to be a dwarf someone still did say that though four dwarfs but if you had two dwarfs right. and then you had a human who cast a polymorph spell on themselves to become dwarven Actually, right. it was not a I'd have, to, I'd have to ask the players. Now, granted, I think it, it was actually a disguise kit, so okay. I wouldn't. I, I didn't count. Now it. that I could argue, you say yeah. that's not enough to yeah, fool right. the magic, right? Yeah. But like, again, I could see a, a bunch of different situations where if the players are trying and they're engaging, and there, where there's a will, there's a way, right? You know, and when you reward that, you're sending a clear message to your players. Hey, if you think, if you're clever, 
if you participate, if you pay attention, if you engage, if you problem solve, you will be rewarded in this game. It's not just about who can roll the highest on a check. Right. I That's think what makes the game awesome. I agree. Yeah. I, I, I thought the funniest thing was when the guy was like, can I, I'm going to lay on the ground and put a hand and footing. I, I started laughing. I was like, that's kind of funny. I didn't think that anyone would do that. And that kind of made me chuckle. But I was like, it doesn't actually work. I mean, it sort of works, but it, it can't do anything. But uh, yeah. I was like, I do like that idea. Um, so it was, it was cool. You, you gave him a little bit of reward for creative thinking. Yeah, yeah. But, and that's in the spirit of what Derek's talking correct. about. Correct. Right. I, reward players. Don't don't punish them. Here, so now, now, don't give them a free lunch. Right. You know, I didn't give them the treasure. I mean, they well, couldn't get in. Right. I mean, that's good. <laughs> all right, so, so we know there's treasure there now. <laughs> yes, so they're definitely, it's known. Um, <laughs> that, that dwarven party is trying to so, go in there. <laughs> so looking back on what you did, aside from, I mean, arguably, maybe it worked out okay that the skeletons were so tough. But what they did was great. So what, what I did what, was... What would you do differently? I would have made the skeletons better uh, 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 on level. I would have also... Um, do you think it would have been as memorable? No. So was that a bad I thing? I don't know. So let me understand the encounter. So so if they had gone to the caskets with the skeleton and messed with the, the casket there. One at a time. They would have one found one at a time. Which is what they did. So they died. I don't oh, know. No, I, I think, I think, I think you ran it great. I think so you ran it So one guy died. I agree, Aaron. Well, yeah. So the two, 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 two PCs ran into the abandoned tomb and barricaded the door. He pulled the one guy in and barricaded the door. And then they just remained quiet. Okay. The other one ran away. And the other guy got knocked down. And then the skeletons killed him. They just killed that guy because he just they left that dude. Yeah, that was one of the patrons the patron yeah. that died first. And yeah. He was great, um, and he was like, "Yeah, that that works out." I said, "As they the skeletons look around, they can't find anybody. They actually go back to their respectable crypts, and you wait at a uh, time, and you guys you guys finally sneak out of that one tomb and then go back to town." That sounds awesome. And then they came back. I in. don't know that, Bob. I think that sounds pretty. I great. Think you did great. So I then, think I think your fuck up was actually a fuck fuck good. Okay, <laughs> so so then they came back and they said, "All right, now we know." Yeah, now, yeah, they so, learned. So they well, went to the, the dead forest now let's, and barricaded the other doors, and then went at each each skeleton one at a time. That's great. Oh, that's so great. But let's let <laughs> I was like, okay, let's uh, let's delve into this. Though. This is something we've kind of touched on on this podcast before, okay? And I want to talk about it um, to kind of give a you know a, a classic example of this. Um, Many years ago, uh, Aaron and I and some of our friends used to play the EverQuest role-playing game. <clears throat> MMO, I should say. Massively. Still going strong. Just released a new expansion. And years after the game had you know, been in its heyday, um, I had never killed the, the two great original dragons. Okay. okay. Lady Vox and Lord Nagafin. And we had built our characters up to be pretty – normally this was taken on by like 30 or 40 people. Right. But the game's level cap had gone up significantly since then, and we were – much higher than you could ever have been in the original EverQuest game. Right. And we decided it would be fun to go kill Lady Vox, just like the five or six of us. Okay. And knowing that she was essentially, uh, you know, almost like a trivial encounter. <laughs> you know, she was once the greatest beast in the land and now was basically something. Well, we went in there and we fought her and we all died. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. And, respect. And that. it was awesome that we did. Right. Because we all agreed, and then we we realized, okay, we got to give a little bit more respect than we gave it, and we got to be a little bit more careful. And we were just, you know, we were being really, really unconscious, yeah. you know, throwing caution to the wind. And we went back a second time after we, you know, died and came back, and then we killed her. But we all agreed that that entire experience it was great. It was awesome. It was awesome. We all agree that it would have been much less cool if we hadn't died. It was cool because it made us respect right her. We wouldn't have talked about it otherwise. It made us be like... I mean, Ben respected me for killing somebody. Well, <laughs> but my point is, 
one of the things that and MMOs can get away with that because we had these characters and we were going to go fight Lady Vox and save points and we died and then we, we just respond respawn and you know we had our lumps we lost a little bit of experience points or whatever you lose in, in, in EverQuest but then we were able to go fight her again in our Northern Nature's game you're allowed to die twice yep. and then the third death is that. your final death yep. so basically you get three strikes and you're out but you can die once you can die twice it's only that third death that's the final death what you described you killed a player yep i could have killed two but i almost did in a normal situation where that character would have just been dead right you know and let's just say let's pretend that two characters died in that situation we try to just brute force our way in we find, we mess with the little yeah, symbol stab the symbol and four four Skeletal champions? Three. Three skeletal, you're right, three points, yep. yes. Three skeletal champions emerge, three level two skeleton champions yeah. emerge, extreme encounter, and two people die. And it's like, oh man, okay, respect, you know, like I guess we got to deal with these separately or we have to barricade and we have this knowledge now and we come back. If they had just been playing normal games where those characters would just be dead, make a new character, or make the same exact character, but it's his brother. Right. Is that as fun? Is that as cool? It depends on the game, right? So I think back when you rolled characters and it didn't take two hours to make, uh, dying was part of the fun, you know? Ah, I lost. Tom the fighter. All right. Bill the fighter will come in, right? Do you, do you think that those games, though, were inherently a little bit less uh, serious? A hundred percent, hundred percent. You know, Pathfinder is trying to be a different animal, and you know, we talked about this at length in our other podcasts. Like, the game isn't even set up to really handle death well. It clearly doesn't want you to die. Correct, right? And I think that the only a- reason this guy died is because everyone else left. Like, right? He was on the ground. He's like, I and he, I think he failed this death save, or failed the save, and he was like, okay. And then like all three skeletons are around you. And they kill you. But you know, he's like, "Yep, sounds great." Like, let's recap <laughs> a couple right. things about how Pathfinder handles death. And I'll try to be very brief because, again, we talked about this before, right? But um, uh, you know, if you're playing, for example, a, a, a completely by the book AP Pathfinder two game, you're very limited on wealth, and raised dead is very expensive. And you know, either either you now uh, diminish your character to get that raised dead if you can even afford it. Uh, or the GM has to, like, make up that wealth, at which point, then why is there a cost anyway if it doesn't matter, right? So you have that, right? Because it's awkward and it doesn't right. work. A, a great example of that would be, imagine if someone died, and you did have access to raise dead ritual, um, or the resurrect ritual. Yeah. Um, but the material component is pretty expensive. So mm-hmm, imagine mm-hmm. that in order to do that, the party had to sell their, their plus two striking weapons. Which now means you basically but can't play the game. You basically can't play the game now. I agree. So very awkward how they handle death, right? Uh, it's hard to die because they don't want you to die. But then you do die. It's it's rough, right? And then you know, and I consider this a, a, a deficiency with this. Yes, in theory, doesn't it, it costs you more to come back from the dead than it would to just make a new character? Okay, so like, like right, like, like if yeah. you died and I made a new character, ninety nine percent of GMs nowadays right. are going to say, okay, the party's level six. They found him. You're level six. Well, Pathfinder two tells you to do that. Even oh, it tells you to do it, and I'm going to join the party at level six, yeah. and I'm going to have. All the equipment and gold the level six characters right. should have yep. because otherwise they're starting I, gold and right. starting. Otherwise, magic. I wouldn't be. And if the party had been following the pre-prescribed rules, they're not going to have more or less right. gold than that. But if but if they had resurrected me, you'd be less. You'd be actually penalized. Right. Absolutely, and you can make the same exact character. Right, because 
there's no there's nothing random about making a character. Correct. So I could be Bill the fighter, and then I could come back as Jill the fighter, right. And have the same stats. Yep. Same stats. Same, same equipment. Feats, yep. Same feats. You pick your equipment. same background. Yep. Same ancestry. Same everything. Right. But the party isn't down fifteen hundred gold for having to use right. a resurrection ritual. Yep. So it and by the way, it still takes time. But like it, it's. It, Death is just oh, by so the way, meaningless. By the way, I'll throw one more cherry on top. Sure. My character dies in the tomb. I go, okay, I'll make a new character. Well, let's pretend for a moment that I'm not being completely, you know, whatever. Uh, trollish, <laughs> making Bill part two. I make a new character, you know, uh, Ranger, level six, whatever, full geared out. You go back to town. I heard you had some trouble with the undead. I'm a undead hunter, and I've joined your party. Okay, cool, buddy. Join us. Ignore the gold. That just happens automatically. When you resurrect someone, you spend all that gold. You got to make a skill check, and if you fail, <laughs> oh, yeah. they don't come back. You still waste all the gold. And I if they critically know, yeah. fail, if they critically fail, yeah. you bring back like an evil spirit or demon, or like the person is cursed or twisted or evil. If you critically fail the check, so not oh. only do you have to spend all this money, but you also have, and you have to have access to this ritual. There's a chance it could go sideways. I did not know that. Yeah. Which now, that again, would be funny in, in Northern Reaches, but that I would like, completely derail an AP, right? Now, level one, though, not a big deal. But like if we were like level 15, that's like that could take like an hour to build a character, a new character. Unless right. you just wrote the same sheet. I mean, I'm looking forward to someone have suffering their third death and then going to them and saying, okay, we'll bring you back. But, but we're going to start a new clock. <laughs> oh, that's funny. How much do you like that character? That's funny. <laughs> do you want to make a deal? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um... Okay, so going back to it, uh, you said you would change the skeletons, and we're saying uh, maybe not. Uh, okay. We thought that we thought that kind of that, that was awesome, kind of badass. Because here's the thing: if they did it to themselves, that's their problem. <laughs> well, let me put it this way: it's a classic. We talked about this on night school. It's it's a, an example of a type of encounter, which I think are the best types of encounter. It can't be a hundred percent of the time because you know then it would lose some of its luster. But I I think it should be thirty percent or forty percent of your encounters, which are this encounter is really difficult. Unless oh, yeah, we did you play it smartly, mm-hmm. in which case it's actually kind of almost easy. Right. If they had went, if they knew, now maybe they can't know, but that's I, okay. I but thought they, they were but, going but to. But if they had figured it out and they had done the thing where they are going to go, I'm going to go fight these things one at a time. Even if they were level two. A level two monster against a level one party is 60 XP. Right. Yep. That's not even moderate, right? That's what, the, that's that's what they were saying. Low. They were like, if we would have done this that way, we would have crushed all these and things. And then you'd been like, crush, crush, crush. Which is what they did. Right. And a- on the second time. As opposed <laughs> to being like, this is a 180 XP fight. Yeah. So what and was funny is they walked In that the... situation, I'm just going to oh, say, okay. you might say, aren't those fights boring? No. When they're low, 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 right, in a row. And you go, no, because the party understands yep. that what they're doing right now is getting away with something. Right. They're they, actually kind of like they're excited about cheating. It. Yeah. And that's what they feel like. Yeah. Right. And, it, that's, and, why that's, and that's why they had fun with it. And that's why they had fun with it. Yeah, because and and well and again they, they played the second one very strategically and really well. But they, they had gone into each tomb. Left the doors open. And they they didn't they never pushed open a single like lid. Mm-hmm. And but the one with the, the puzzle on the wall, they were like they got intrigued, and now I was like, <laughs> yeah, man, if they would just temptation. open up the thing, this is the skeleton would have killed. They could have killed and one they, at a time. Here's the most important: part. they know that right now, and so right, and that why that's why they go, okay, uh, oh, okay, yeah. We, and, we they almost be like, this was our fault. Well, that's why this wasn't got, Bob's fault. Well, and I think this is this that's is why he accepted death. 
and he was pretty cool with it. Derek's question, right, and what it was kind of leading into is, you know, normally in Pathfinder or D and D, you don't really have a, an opportunity to learn from your mistakes, but in MMOs, you do, right? Correct. So, like in MMO, you know, that's actually really true. No <laughs> secret. I love Final Fantasy, and and I love raiding in Final Fantasy, and the raids are very puzzle-like. That's why I like them, right? So it's not really about your stats; mm-hmm. it's about figuring out the mechanics and beating the bad guy, right? Doing a dance almost. And so it's a puzzle. You figure it out, and then you get to the next mechanic, and yep. then it whoops you, and you're like, oh, okay, now I know what that does, right? And then the way Final Fantasy does is it introduces each mechanic, and then at the end, like the second phase of the raid, is all the mechanics happen at the same time, right? Because now that you know what they are, yep. can you deal follow it, right? I love that. Absolutely never work in a traditional role-playing game. Right, because the, the, the way that you learn all those is, is dying death. multiple times. I was going to say, right. is by death. Yeah, exactly. Right. I, that's a good point. Right, but... Because NR is kind of crossing that line a little bit, right? We got this low MMO-ish where we give you your three strikes. And, you know, we do that because lots of different GMs. You never know what necessarily you're getting into. Yeah, I don't, you know. It's a community game. These are are part of the same community. I don't want a GM to feel like they are being a bad guy by killing someone. Or feel like they need to pull their punches or fudge because they're like, oh, if I kill somebody, that's like their character. Right. It's protection on both sides. It's protection on both sides. Part of me almost doesn't want to report like the status, right? Because I don't want a GM looking. Oh, this guy's down. He lost his two lives, and he's going into my dungeon. Ooh, you know. But you know, whatever. Um, we got to track it somewhere. And transparency. I, I think what's cool about it is, even if I die three times, like the one guy was saying, he's like, I like. He's like, I like my character. But if I die three times, I'll roll up a new guy. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, that. We're, we, you are playing a game. Right. I, I agree. He with was. That. He was. He was. He was a really well, clear, They have the ability to learn, right? Yes. They, they, so let's recap your session. They went in. They made a, a, a terrible mistake. It cost effectively the lives of two players. One, absolutely. Yes. Right? One was wounded. In a normal Pathfinder game, the session probably would have ended. Correct. Instead, they got out. Yep. They rallied. They brought their friend back from the tavern. When you yep. die, you know, you basically run back to town, right? Yeah. So they went back. Even in their description of the after-action report, they went back to the tavern. They got their friend. Come on. We're going to go back in there, right? So he's back. Yep. They got all four. And then they continue playing. This was all in one yes. four hour, six hour session. Four hour. Four hour session. Yep. They they wiped, they went back, they came back in, they beat the puzzle. Yep. They beat the bad guys. That is awesome. I think they liked it. I think they, everyone said they had a good time. And I'll tell you about my mistakes here as we get to the, the second level, because that's where I think I made my biggest mistakes. Okay. Yeah. Keep going. Um, but this is the Bob episode. Oh. Yeah. Uh, but they, they had discovered that each of these um, uh, skeleton champions had a gem on them. This is why I actually asked you And the you gems about. go into the slots on the Correct. Thing. Yeah. But the gems had uh, uh, different values to them. And they figured out that the values were actually the angles of the triangle. Um, and that's how you actually solve the puzzle. Because they were starting to push them in, and I'm like, you know. No, that's great. Yeah, so. Yeah, yeah so awesome. The, yeah, so they, they figured out the puzzle. Crypt open, stairway. That's the second way in because they could have gone in through the main gate if they were four humans or if they were strong enough to fight the strong. If they could fight the skeleton or the um, the animated statues, because right now this place exists. If the, no one goes back to this till like they're level five, they could just go and just crush these statues and walk right in. Right, right. which is fun, which yeah. is great. Yeah. You know, so that's what I thought is like. There's multiple ways to get in. There's a there's a cheat cheaty way if you mm-hmm. have four humans. There's the skilled way to sneak in, or there's just the overpowering way. I love, it. I love stuff like yeah. that. So oh, there's it, multiple it's ways. It's the well in Rapanathuk, which even you know I, about the well. Yes. So they did this. They they walk in. Then they, they can get into this new area. Now they've discovered that there is this big hoard of treasure that's guarded by another set of giant statues. A little repetitive, but they kind of got the gist from above. Well, 
okay, let me stop you there. Yes. We just talked about this. We talked about this in our our oh yeah our, our, the rule of three. The rule of yeah. three. This, yeah. this is good symmetry. Right. Okay. This is good symmetry <laughs> because what you're doing is you're saying I showed you already. Did you pay attention? Okay. Before you were confused and you felt like uh, a noob. You felt like I don't understand what's going on. Now you are experiencing what we call mastery. Yep. This is why I was just talking about the Final Fantasy, right? Right. They introduced the mechanic. Yes. And then the second phase. Okay. Now you get to now you know these. the mechanic. Yep. Right. So then they realized that this one's a little different, though. This one was dwarfs, and they couldn't yeah. get to the treasure. So they were like, I mean, they were trying everything. And it was funny because I knew just by the party's makeup, unless they were going to come with something I didn't think about, they weren't getting into this treasure. Okay. Okay. Because I was like, I, I sort of know there's no way to really get in here. But again, I don't know what I don't know. So let's know. talk about that on a philosophical level. Yes. Uh, let's, let's speak as three GMs here. Yes. I mean, obviously, we talked about maybe if they use something like a polymorph spell Correct. to turn themselves into a dwarf. If you had three dwarves and a human, but the human turned themselves into a dwarf, would that work? And we said maybe it would. Maybe it would, yeah. Do you think a puzzle like that, or I, don't, yeah, I guess it's a puzzle. Do you Do you think a puzzle like that is um, enhanced or diminished by putting a check in there in any way? Or even if it's really high? Right, like, like, oh, like a skill check. Like, if someone makes a DC thirty thievery check, so there was, they a, can, there was a back door. They can that, dis- was a, that you could get in, okay. but you had to have a special key to get into this thing. And that's what they were using. The they were using thieves' tools to try to get into that. And did you have a DC for that? Yeah, I put it at thirty. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, you're not supposed to get in here at level one. This treasure supposed to be like, oh, this treasure supposed to be overvalued for a level one campaign, or sorry, level one uh, adventure. This this value right. of the treasure supposed to be bigger. But if you can cheat the system and figure out a way in, you get rewarded. If you had four dwarfs, boom, we are rewarded for this great treasure right, that was here. Right. That should you, not you be able broken. to get in. Yeah, you are now broken. You're, you played four dwarfs. Good job. Here's, yeah. a, here's a ton of broken loot. <laughs> sort of a, this is definitely a bomb a dungeon. Trope on, a trope on me. But, uh, and, uh, and so this is kind it's, of— It's weird. There's four, there's four roughly rectangular depressions in the ground. And they're like pressure plates, but they need something really heavy yeah, and really square dense. and to, to set into them. And it's like you need four big, heavy, but but the, the pressure plates weigh down. So you need like it's almost like you need a big square block attached to a long handle. <laughs> and then if you have four of those, if only you had a mall. If only all four of you had a mall. So they realized that that they couldn't get into this this treasure, but they were determined. Like they they were making comments to themselves, like we're not leaving without that treasure. And I'm right. like I'm like. I don't know how in my head I didn't say so well, a lot of them. I'm like, I don't know how you're getting that. So treasure. let's talk about that. Yeah, we're you know from for all the GMs listening out there, right? You've been in that situation. I've been in that situation. Oh, yeah. Bob was just in that situation, right? Where the players are throwing everything, including the kitchen sink, at a, a solution, and they aren't close. Um, and you know that there is some solutions that are possibly one very difficult to do, or two way outside of their possible wheelhouse. You, it's one of those situations where you go. The real solution is you need to accept that you are not currently equipped. Which right. is what I ended this. up telling them. So I was going to say, how, right, because that can build frustration. Of course. It did. And it can, it can, people can get irritated because they feel like I'm stupid. Or they can get irritated because they start to feel like this is stupid. That was what happened. And you can waste a lot of time outside of anything else, whether they are having fun with it or not. You end up going, yeah, we spent 45 minutes trying to get into a tomb that basically yeah. we couldn't get into. They spent about 30 minutes trying to get in. I think three of the players went, we get it. This isn't a. This is again strictly for northern reaches. This is an idea that we are going to have to find out information and bring it back to the tavern to let other PCs, maybe ourselves, know how to solve this riddle. And that was my whole thought process: was 
This is a thing that maybe you guys can't no, no. solve, but you, that's, the community, could solve. That's brilliant. Yeah, oh, okay. love it. Uh, and Aaron and I, I think, <laughs> honestly, I mean, if I'm going to be honest with you, Bob, shocked. <laughs> Definitely surprised. Very surprised. Definitely surprised. Proud. (laughs) Proud, but also a little shocked. Um, I mean, that's like one of the most A-plus designs. Um, This is better than the actual homework that I'm doing for Night School. 100%. 100%. 100%. This is like, I I have no fault with any of this. No. In fact, everything, even your mistake, would have been lessened if it wasn't. The only thing I have a fault with is you think that's a mistake. Correct. Okay, fair enough. Right. It's like, I, I, hey, I got the question right, but I did it. I didn't, I thought I got it wrong. Well, you still get the credit for getting it right. Right. Um, The way you handled the initial tomb, brilliant. The way you handled the secondary tomb, brilliant. But uh, let's talk about that way that, the way that was set up. The one player I will say literally was like, I don't understand why this was here if we couldn't solve it. Right. And that to was be the clear, frustration of a player. And to be clear, that is, number one, um, a probably a reasonable thought to have yes. when you are used to playing games that are about you. Yep. Right. And two, it's also a reasonable thought to have when you're used to playing games that are like, I don't know, set up for you to succeed at everything. Right. 100%. I thought it was more of a, vi- a video game. I mean, again, I agreed with the player, but at the same time, I was like, this isn't just, I mean, if, like, if I was running just for my four buddies and this was the only thing they were going to do, right. there's got to be a way to get in. Correct. This is not set up. This is for the 50 plus community right. members. So, and that's why it's Brian. Now, yeah. outside of that, right, outside of what you could, because you could easily, this could, this could also happen, right, in our night school, mm-hmm. you're creating a dungeon. And let's say that the group, Right, and the dungeon that you're creating, there is the Dwarven King's throne room, chamber, the King's chamber, and that's where the sort of the treasure is, and the secret treasure, and all that other jazz. And you have this great Dwarven door that is locked by these two special Dwarven keys, yes. which are located within your dungeon. Yes. So you have a way to get them. If you want to know this answer, or you want to see what he's talking about, uh, uh, when the, uh, if the if the night school is posted, uh, Derek will explain it. I think in the uh, in the actual video. But I did have two keys that you had to solve in, or find in two different parts of the uh, fortress to open this door. So imagine if the group or we talked about other things. So so again, you're talking about designing for northern reaches, correct? But this is designing for a single group, correct? The group goes and they find the door first. Yep. Okay. They fight the goblins. They go north. They fight the other goblins. They go east. They fight the zombies. And then there's this dwarven door. Yep. With these two massive keys, they don't even know. About the two special, I'm sorry, two locks. Correct. They don't even know about the two special keys. And they're sitting there trying to make their way in because they're like, oh, we think this is the Dwarven King Chamber. The runes on the wall suggest. And that's what we came here for. Yes. And we're not leaving. But we get it. How long do you let them beat their head against the wall? 10 to 20 minutes. Is that, I mean, is there a number? Is I, there like I, I think you, it's a sense uh, okay, of the player, uh, right? Do you? <laughs> right, because I mean, there are people who are listening to this podcast, you know, and you know who you are, yeah. who would say, "I would never tell them anything." If right. they want to spend five hours there, they could spend five hours there. That sounds awful. But that's me. <laughs> I, I think that's awful too. But right. I don't also want to just give them the answer. Like I want them to test out a couple solutions, and then I want to. I think again, I say ten to twenty minutes because that's my experience. But I think I'm judging the player. When I started to see that they were getting frustrated, then I was kind of like. You guys sense that you guys could not get in this yeah, pressure point without room, four, which is well, good. four yeah, I mean, the, the best skill that a GM can possibly acquire yeah. is the ability to read the room. Right. And read the players. Yeah. If the players are having fun and they're all engaged and they're still oh, you having let fun, them play. You let them play. Why right. ruin their fun? Right. But the moment as they, long as it's sort of progressing, right? right they're exactly. not repeating same scenarios exactly. over and over again. I mean, GMing's tough. 
-hmm. tougher than anybody gives it credit for, you know? And uh, it's fun though. Well, doing it well is tough. Doing it well. It's very easy to like read an AP and just read stat blocks to people and then movement. But like being a real GM is a lot more than just designing adventures and rolling dice and running the monsters. It is being a, a an MC. Yeah. You know, 100%. being a conductor of an, of an orchestra. Yeah. And you have to, you have to figure out like what, read the situation, you know, it's like a dungeon world move. <laughs> you know, it was interesting afterwards. I was talking to Aaron, um, semi off topic. It's on topic. And I was talking about, Oh, what, what would I change for Bob tomb or tomb Bob 2.0? And, and Aaron was like, now nah, you're like a real GM because <laughs> your work's like never finished. You're already like thinking, what would you do to make the next one better? What's the right. next experience that you can do better? And I was like, I never had that because I've never really done it. I've only ran APs. Right. There's nothing to do better. You just run the next AP. I mean, yes, you you improve your skills, but now I'm thinking, would I run those skeletons like that again? But what if I had a different guy here? Right. What if I put a trap here instead or something like that? Because again, this is my creativity now sort of un compiling on itself. That's why it's fun. Well, it was interesting. <laughs> so let me continue real quick. Yeah. They couldn't get into the treasure room. They got him a little frustrated. Then they said there was two paths, and this is where my mistake was, and Derek, Derek will knows this, and I talked about it on our night school. There's two symmetrical paths around the treasure room that mm -hmm. led to some staircases. They are exactly the same. They both have some skeleton guards. They both have two staircases going down. They could have gone either way. My thought was they would only go one way because that's the length of the session. They, they, they took the first one to the left sneakily around the corners scouting very very cautiously you know peeking around seeing if they could see anything detecting anything hearing because right, they don't know what they don't know what's going on right they get to the guards this is where it got a little weird this is now a moderate fight four skeleton guards are minus one yep mm -hmm. so and, 20 20 20 20 yep, so that's 80 XP, yep. moderate fight they blew through that in like ooh, 10 minutes I was like, I thought these fights were going to take like 30 minutes to an hour. No, I mean, if they're, if they're level negative one and they're not goblin warriors, I mean. That's what I'm realizing. <laughs> not, not, not only that, but when they're all the same, they're also. I feel also, personally attacked. <laughs> you should be. <laughs> I, I feel like also when they're all the same, they sort of figure out and then they just cruise. Like we know that we know the solution now. We yeah. know how to defeat these three. The one guy was throwing these bombs that were uh, good against undead and they were hitting them in groups and they were all exactly nice. the same. I didn't have any zombies or something else different. They were all skeleton guards. It was very boring. That my that fight to me was like the, did the most, players. Did the players think it was boring? I don't think the first one. Uh, but let's continue with your story. I thought I thought it was boring. I was like, that was ten minutes and it wasn't like exciting. Not like the one up top. At it, least it was quick. It was it was it was too quick. I here, think in here, my opinion. Okay, a common problem, and this is very true for Pathfinder Two, very true for Fifth Edition as well. Is this belief that GMs have and adventure writers have that every fight needs to be this epic confrontation Dude. until the end of the day. It doesn't. I get it. Sometimes it's fun to kick ass and take names. And, and maybe, uh, I mean, maybe they had that opinion. Do you like do you like your the campaign that you play in? Uh, the one at your at yeah. Two yeah, I think it's fun. Right, so, I mean... When I can remember what the difference between Magic Missile and Electric sure, Arc are. Yeah. But the, the mechanics are pretty straightforward. Everyone knows it's, what they are, right? You're going to go into it, and there's a moderate fight, 80 experience points. There's a severe fight, 120. There may be an elite, which is just another 120. And then you have the boss, which is the extreme, 160 at the end. So those first two fights, especially the first one, like, it's, it's a, a gimme. Yeah. It's a layup, yeah. Yeah. It's so, a free throw. Yeah. Uh, do, you, do you have fun in yeah, those fights with whooping ass? I do. I don't know if it's just because they were skeleton guards. I don't know what it is. But when I play in your game, there's tactics. There's uh, It takes a little bit of time to get through that encounter. 
This one was so fast. I'm like, they didn't even, they weren't even like challenged at all. Like there was no thought. They just went and just ransacked these things. I mean, it sounds like if somebody has bombs designed to deal with groups of lower level but, undead. But yeah. that's the thing in Northern Reach is you're going to a tomb. And yeah. so they go, we prepped And correctly. that's awesome. That's amazing. That's so, actually, so they that's crushed what, it. by the way, like you're just making me feel <laughs> rewarded for the <laughs> so, whole concept. All, so. my mis- all my mistakes are apparently benefits. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> good job, Aaron. That's good. <laughs> Because that's exactly an experience that I think yeah, is they so, and they crushed it. And they pre- if like the, it, it's like taking that concept of what I talked about. Blight, blight bombs. I can't remember the bomb, but they okay. had the. Piece was, this, of the was this an alchemist? Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I mean, to be clear, like this is lobbing them in. Right, this takes this. Become con- like stupid. I'm like encumbered one. If it, it splashes on them, it was devastating. <laughs> okay, but this takes this concept that I talk about all the time. Where um, one of the reasons I love third edition D and D is because d- let me rephrase that. One of the reasons I love third edition spellcasters, um, and I think that martial characters are very boring <clears throat> and unappealing in third edition D and D. And to be clear, I mean, if you look at the base classes in the third edition, there's eleven in the core rulebook, yeah, and uh, four of them. Are not spellcasters, yeah. right? Barbarian, the fighter, the rogue. monk, and the rogue. That's it. Technically, the rogue can take uh, True. minor arcana. So yeah. if you want to be real technical about it, they can become a spellcaster. So really three of them have yeah. no access to magic, and monks get key. Is so. that because melee characters really go like forward, but, but oh, spellcasters no, can go out because it, there's so much variation well, in spells? No, no, no. It's because uh, monks... I'm sorry. Uh, Rangers, paladins—they were all spellcasters. Yeah. No. Yeah. They were. They were. They're jack of all trades type thing. They had a little bit of melee and a little bit of spellcasting. Yeah. Well, a lot of melee and a little bit of spellcasting. Yeah. And oh, bards okay. were a little bit of fifty-fifty. And, and bards were more fifty-fifty. But mm-hmm. everybody got a spell list. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we've had plenty of campaigns where you know, not, a, not maybe not like level one, but we've had plenty of campaigns where like you're later in the game. You know, it's like level twelve, level fourteen, or whatever. And the paladins and the rangers, you know, they've got fifteen, twenty spells. Yeah. Per day, that's um, third, fourth level spells. Sounds you know, sweet, and they're casting pretty powerful spells that can do some pretty cool things. Um, and so, I always liked spells in those games because they allowed you to do what you just described, right? Which is, hey, I want to. I know I'm aware of the challenge that I'm about to go about. Let's 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 compare this with your recently deceased barbarian, mm. Asius. R.I.P. Asius. Rip, rip. F's and chat. Yeah, F's and podcast. You've got your you got your weapons. They're built, they're built, you know, they're expensive, you know. That's why I built them. Those runes are 500 gold piece, uh, 500 gold pieces to get the little, you know, electricity rune, right? If someone's looking at me, they would, they would think my mall is worth more than my life. Okay. Um, You've got your feats. Yep. Okay. What can you or would you change if I told you, Asius, you're going to go fight a bunch of undead? Or if I were to say, Asius, tomorrow's session is a bunch of plants. Mm-hmm. Or if I say Asius, tomorrow's session. Fire rune. So, you know, are you gonna you can afford that? You, what are you gonna I do? can't. Are you gonna rebuild your entire mall because right. you can't put an extra rune on it? No, I have to sell one of them and get half price, and then. So you're losing hundreds and hundreds of gold. I, you're I, not gonna do that. No, are because you my do... rune just freaking or my you... hammer hit so dang hard anyway. But my point is, so what? So what do you really change about your character? How do you prepare for that? Adventure? How do you prepare for that adventure? You, I don't know. You don't. Well, I you know what I do. Huh. I go, hey, Derek, are you the spellcaster? <laughs> Prepare, because we're going to go find. <laughs> Correct. Go so, get fireballs. So spell, we're plants. So, right. So spellcasters used to have a lot. And, and here's the thing. In Pathfinder 2, spellcasters' abilities and spells are much weaker than they were in mm-hmm. Pathfinder 1. Mm-hmm. And so before, a spellcaster could take a spell. Like, I'll give you a great example. <clears throat> We've talked about on our All Spells Ranked before that something like um, Remove Fear. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, if ever if you know that you're going to be fighting undead with fear, frightful presence auras, or dragons with frightful presence aura, in Pathfinder two, you make a save. If you succeed, frighten one. If you fail, frighten two. If you critically fail, frighten four. That, okay, frighten four is no joke. Brutal. Mm-hmm. Now, you have removed fear. It's a single target. Keep in mind that it's a, it's a counteract check. I might be feared, so my counteract check is penalized. Mm-hmm. I have to beat the DC. Of the monster that Frightful presenced me, and if that monster is more than two levels higher than my spell, then I have to critically hit. Right. Remove fear in Pathfinder 1, number one, not only was it automatic, but you could cast it on somebody before they became fear, and they got something like a plus four, yeah, plus four. bonus to their saving throw against the fear itself. For how, for the length of the battle, hypothetically? Yeah, oh, spell. Wow. yeah. So in other words, you could really prepare. That, that sounds awesome. Yeah. And here's the thing. It gets back to that thing where I said 30 to 40% of encounters should be hard. But if you prepare appropriately, it's easy. easy. So that fight could have been moderate, but they maybe treated like almost like low. Correct. Because they or, prepared. Or maybe more trivial. like severe, and then they treat it like low. Well, a, great, a great example of yeah. it is, like, imagine you were going to go fight a bunch of fire elementals, okay? And the damage they deal is all fire, Okay. In Pathfinder 1, that is true. <laughs> a fire elemental does fire damage, and they might do 20 points of fire damage. In Pathfinder 1, before we go fight fire elementals, I right. could put a spell like Resist Fire on you mm. or Protection from fly- Fire against you. And Protection from Fire, if I cast it on you, it gives you 120 points of fire absorption. Right. So you won't take a single hit point like damage fire until hit after you took 120 that's a fire. lot. It's a lot. It is a lot. If I cast resist fire on you, you might take 15 damage off of a fire elemental's attack. And so, so and it's only, only dealing 20. Wow. Okay? So you're only going increments of wow. five. Yeah. And now basically the fighter, the, fi- the, f- the fire elementals are shooting blanks. Right. They can't do anything against you. Mm-hmm. All right. And the spellcasters have allowed you to turn what could have been a very, maybe a very challenging fight into almost a jokingly easy one. So this, this principle here that he's talking about, this is what we're trying to emulate with our uh, campaign on Fridays, Dark mm-hmm. Winter, right? That's what we prep in camp and... Well, think about it. Every fight at the end is an extreme. Yep. Now, we know, based on the rules of the game, that that's a 50-50 shot. But you, most times we win. You've won all of them. Well, I've, never, I haven't been there for everyone. We've won every single one. You've won every... Uh, the party... Because we prepare correctly. We correct. do our research. We look into this idea. At the beginning of the dungeon, it's good, yeah, it's good. you get these opportunities to learn what you're going to face. Mm-hmm. Derek always knows what the boss says by the time you walk into that chamber because you guys have time to prepare for it. You guys have consumables, right? We're not as stingy with the treasure of AP. You have camp actions designed specifically to help you prepare for that fight. Yeah. And so the intent is, yeah, if you walk in and you didn't prepare, that's an extreme fight. It's 50-50. You're going to die. And the math of the game is tight. And if you look yeah. how those fights go, if you guys didn't have your preparation, you'd be dead. You'd be yeah, dead. We, we almost take that extreme fighting drain down to like a severe fight. You which got is it. That's why it's okay. there. That's okay. exactly right. Then. Right. And so now, but but, but you you know spells like I was talking about don't they do have resist energy in Pathfinder two, and it's like five. Right. So that fire elemental. What was that one? Thing? That fire elemental might be doing thirty or forty points of fire damage, and you take off five. Now is that something? Yes. But does it make the fight kind of a? Trivial? No. And they did that on oh, okay. purpose. They didn't want... So it was too strong before. Well, it wasn't, that it wasn't that it was too strong. Well, okay. They felt it was too strong. Yeah. They didn't want for characters to be able to prepare and essentially negate or 
remove a a a the difficulty right. of of a um of an encounter because number one that made spellcasters way stronger okay number two it made you almost need spellcasters and number three there were a lot of players i think who felt like i guess it depends on your player philosophy okay if i show up to a fight and there is a fire elemental yes and the sorcerer character in my party goes guys i got this I cast my fire ward spell on everybody, and we're immune to fire. Sounds sweet. I, I'm not a sorcerer. I'm just the fighter. I'm mm-hmm. just the ranger. I go, I don't know. That was pretty awesome. Right. But there's a lot of players out there, believe it or not, who would feel bad about that. Interesting, because I remember we were taking the greater resistance to go try to fight that dragon that was like electric uh, dragon. No, you're talking about a, a potion of resistance. Yes. Yeah. Isn't that 10? 10. Yeah, we were like, okay, this is what you're talking about. This is a stream fight. We know it's electric dragon you know it's gonna it's gonna be hitting us with electricity so we gotta take greater electricity resistance basically and we were prepping to them and we actually didn't even use it because we slowed the dang thing (laughs) but but we were prepping to the to the gills on this thing we were getting ready and i thought i i had just as much fun prepping yep because the fight was technically boring to our ra game bob let me play an ra yeah so bob bob what (laughs) you are you are completely correct you had more fun prepping Right, because so, the fight was actually boring because we we kind of owned it. You guys did own the fight. Well, but but, was it, but, but we were but prepping. Was it, but, okay, here's the difference. It was stra- that if was the go, strategy. If you go into a fight and you just own it, yeah, okay, that's boring. If you go into a fight and you own it because you did all this amazing prep work, that's cool. That's cool. And the reason is because to beat the fight, usually you have to you have to do the strategy, which is the fun, the tactical tactics. But we did the tactics before. That well, no, doing tactics before is called strategy. That's what I'm saying. We did the tactics <laughs> before, so there was the fun. Right. How? What are you going to take? You, what if you, I gave this to you? Can you do this? Can I roll that? Right. And that was all of us they, going before we get in the fight. It is my opinion Interesting. Yeah. that they deliberately tried in Pathfinder 2 to eliminate or remove what we are in this conversation defining as strategy. Right. Agreed. And so they, they so tr- our Northern Reaches is bringing that back. Bringing that back. Yeah. Correct. And I think that's why and some that players is, have a lot that, of trouble with and it. And that is a specific design goal. That I enacted, so that, and that that Aaron that Aaron developed, okay, <laughs> that we input into the game, and I ran, and I thought I did it wrong. <laughs> you did it perfect. And Aaron also <laughs> brings up an interesting point, which is, and some people, players and GMs, correct, are having a hard time understanding because they go, "But that was easy." I thought it, yeah. But was it a free lunch? If it was a free lunch, that's a bad mistake, right? But if somebody makes smart decisions. Okay, and you know, like you have an alchemist who prepared for a tune by taking undead specific bonds. GM Scott legit did what I think you've told me to do. He had his, I think he had a sword or he had a pole arm or something, slashing or piercing. I can't remember which one it was. And he goes, he 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 hit the first one, and I was like, yeah, it's like resist five, and he did like because it's resist five to piercing. I think skeletons are and slashing. And I was like, it's definitely, you definitely want bludgeoning weapons against yeah, skeletons. Yeah, so that's what he did. He goes, he, he did the damage. I said, uh, okay. And he, uh, he rolled four. I said, you did zero damage to it. He's like, next turn, take out my hammer because he prepared. So he had a backup weapon. Oh, he had a backup, had a backup, backup hammer. He had the hammer. So then he was just ham. Actually, it's good. You know what's funny? Before before he did that, that, he did the second time. The first time he just dropped the spear and he started punching him because he was like, yeah, "My works. hands will do work." So let's 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 look at something. GM Scott was legit. On that. Well, GM Scott's a hell of a player. So. Oh, I, I, thought, I had 
I had Im, uh, Improfit. I had Sater. Uh, Sater, yeah. Sater, 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 Sater Frosty, and uh, GM Falling in battle. These guys were good. And this is a counter when we talk about uh, uh, D&D, but these guys knew what to do. They were ready. They knew how to adjust. And I learned probably just as much from them as I did. Well, even, right. You know, but but because making look, me a better GM so by let, knowing what they can do. So let's look at something in the book. Yes. Okay. Skeletal champion. Okay. It's sixty XP. Creature level two. two. Yep. Let's let's make it more reasonable. There's two of them. Okay. That's a one hundred and twenty XP fight. Severe. Severe. And that's the rule of the game. Okay. Now, we've all played Pathfinder, so let's imagine four players. Okay, going into that fight, four random PCs of various sorts and types. Again, on paper. Severe. Severe. 120 experience. 60 each. Party A comes in, and they are a random assortment of party members. And they all have <laughs> swords. They all have piercing and slashing yeah. weapons. And they don't have anything else that could do bludgeoning. Right. And okay. I think it's like fire their fire resistance too. Okay. So like And I only have produced flame. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Now that's party one. Party two all have bludgeoning weapons, and they have a cleric. It's part of Dwarven. And they have uh, a party. Wallers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They all have bludgeoning weapons. And, a cleric. And they have yeah. a cleric who has heal, okay, and can AoE heal, which works against undead. And their uh, sorcerer has, um, you know, electric arc or something that can work against undead. Or they have an alchemist. I think they resist electric. Maybe it was not fire. It's electric. I think okay. there was. Well, either way, it, we're saying the same thing. Yeah. Right. Or they have an alchemist yep. who has blight bombs or whatever you were calling them. I don't actually I know what they, they were. I, I didn't look them off. In private was just whipping them things out. Okay. Does anything. Do you. Some GMs are really stupid, but <laughs> sorry, GMs, but like, like some people go, oh, well, I'll, I'll award them less experience or I'll award them more experience. Oh, no. Right? Uh, but no, but like that was written in stone the, before the, fight the rules. Happened. But, and that's the key. That's that the was key. written in stone. I wrote everything out. You wrote everything out. That challenge was as the challenge is. But we both we all agree. And you listening at home can agree that encounter number one. 120 XP versus the party with only slashing and piercing Brutal. weapons. Brutal. Doesn't have access oh, to heal. That's me a rough fight. Doesn't have access to, only has access to fire or electricity or whatever their skeletons oh, yeah. are, are resist, resistant to versus the group where the fighter has a bludgeoning weapon, the 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 ranger has a bludgeoning weapon, the cleric has a bunch of heal spells, and the sorcerer has, or the alchemist has blight bombs yeah. or ghost bombs or whatever, undead bombs. Those encounters are going to play out very, different. very, well, very differently. I'll tell you what it is. It's two times as likely. Because what happens is uh, um, level one, so that's one twenty. It's basically sixty, so it's at just just above low. So what's happening is those those people are hitting anywhere between five and ten types uh, amount of damage yeah. with their spells. When it's resist five, yeah, it's oof. you're you're only doing five points with piercing right. and slashing, maybe even less. Sometimes almost zero or right. one or two. But now if I bludging, I'm doing five to ten. Right. So it's two times as effective right. almost. So that takes a, a severe fight almost literally down to a. 60, like a low fight almost. Correct. Yeah. So because they prepared, they literally like cut the cut it in half at, yeah. level, at level one. And We're that, talking about level good one. Good job, party. I think that's awesome. But right. here's the difference. Here's the difference. Now, in your case, you said your player knew that and had that backup hammer. Because right? I told Which him is, it was a tomb and it was creepy. Right. And your alchemist, about it, your yeah. alchemist, um, Improfit, took these, these, these undead bombs yep. because they knew it was a tomb and it was creepy. Great. That's all great. That's awesome. But there are a lot of elements in the game that are sort of baked into your character. And what I'm saying is I like when there are things in the game that allow you to um, to engage with that pre preparation part of it, you know? Yep. yep. And, and spellcasters have traditionally mm -hmm. always been the group that can really take advantage of that because they're like, oh, I've got a spell for that, you know? Oh, 
I've got a spell for that. Yeah, don't worry about it, guys. You know, it's a certain type of damage. We know that these creatures cast darkness. I'm going to prepare some light spells. We know that these creatures, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That mini game of knowing what you're going to go up against and then preparing for it. Now, here's the problem. Sure, there are plenty of times in these games where you kind of know what fight you're going to go up against. But a lot of times you don't. Yep. A lot of times you do not. You don't know that you're in that fight until you're in that fight. And if the fight is tough and you die, you don't ever get to benefit from learning from your mistakes. The advice I give the NR players is have one foot out the door. You don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. That's what's so cool about Northern Reaches, NR, uh, is that these people can go in, take a gander, yeah, explore, learn the secrets, learn the information they need. Get the hell out. Get the hell out. Go back to town. Guys, uh, this one is undead. And we weren't really prepared for it. Well, historically, the problem with that has been, and I'm going to not be quite devil's advocate here, right? But uh, there are a lot of people who, and this could happen, by the way, you know, somebody shows up, like even in, in, in a not a Northern Reaches game, like mm -hmm. your home game, mm -hmm. okay? Bob's tomb is in a home game. And you go, hey, guys, we're going to go to the tomb and we're just going to scout it out, see what we have to do so we can come back and be better prepared. You go in, you do the scouting, you do the thing. Yeah, do people want to okay. be scouts? Well, no, but then you come back and you go, okay, how much experience did we get this session? Zero. Right. And so what I gets... awarded them for the puzzle. No, but what I'm secret... saying, no, but they, because but they engage with it and they do it. I'm just talking about like, oh, they just, the just way went that, in, scout the around, way that these games are set up. Yeah. Okay. Just scouting doesn't award XP. Mm. So this is what you're teaching me in night school about discovery and, and awarding things that you want to promote. That's correct. Okay. What, I came up with a new version, right, of oh, this okay. just the other day. I've always said what gets measured gets managed. Yeah. Yes. This is one of my, my key project management data analytics um, as a data scientist, as a data analyst. One of my key things is what gets measured gets what's managed. My new one is, is good. Uh, what gets rewarded gets repeated. Okay. Right. If you reward soon to be on a T-shirt near yeah. you, <laughs> if you reward a behavior, you are going to see more of that behavior. OK. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you're fighting on that, like but like if, if you, uh, how could if, you if you're in discovery, and if, that's a bunch, so cool. if a bunch of if people do if people do A, B and C in your session and you reward B and C, but not A. OK. My, I promise you, over the course of, and that happens again and again and again. Again, this is in Pathfinder, where a lot of people want to level up, which is why they want experience. Or you're talking about like even, oh, you're talking about even in other things. I'm talking about anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? You're right. No, you're I right. I mean, what reward could be experience? Sure. It could be treasure. It could be knowledge. It could be knowledge. Whatever your players care about could be reward. And whatever the game is projecting to do, right? Correct. I, yeah. You cannot deny the fact that a game like Pathfinder 2 is designed and centered around leveling up. Right? Correct. Right. So therefore, you're, you're giving XP so is a, the reward. A way of looking at the game and is treasure. to say, if you aren't, you know, I would argue that treasure is almost incidental in Pathfinder 2 to a certain extent. Yep. Because so much of your character's power, potential, coolness is yeah, based on your experience. from experience. But I would argue that if a player goes in and they do A, B, and C in your session and you reward B and C with experience and treasure and you don't reward A, that over the course of several sessions, as they continue to do A, B, and C, you're going to see that players do less of A yep. and more of B and C. Yep. Or yep. they are going to be obtuse and, and, and recalcitrant and not change their behavior and then gripe be and bitch complain. Yeah. That, that they're not getting enough XP for A. Well, or you have the wrong, wrong reward system. Right. Right. You're giving them the wrong type of game. 
what you're giving them it could be a system incentive. issue. It incentive. could be right. You may not. You and your players are clearly distinctively different about what your game is about. Correct, and we shall be on the same page. Right. Uh, I've used this uh, example before, but in a game like Legend of the Five Rings, okay, you weren't earn experience points based on how long you played the game that session. Mm-hmm. And the reason they do, in other words, if you went out and you fought a, a great battle against an army of samurai and then concluded a peace treaty that brought peace between two warring clans and you played for five hours, you get five XP. You might get some bonus. Uh, maybe. But if you played an, an L5R game where you spent five hours and it was just all of you just role playing in character, tea. drinking tea in a coffee in a, in a coffee shop, um, you get five XP. Yep. Right. Okay. The reason that game specifically does that is because it says, we understand that some people just want to play this game, that they just want to hang out. And they just want to like do so, so it's do not incentivizing anything correct, really except correct. for play the game. Play the game. It right. just says do play the game that you're going to play. Play the game that you want to play. And that has pros and cons. Correct. Big right. cons and pros. Now my style of play is to award XP and then to if players achieve certain uh, you know milestones or certain key achievements. Not that I've set, but almost that they've set is to award them with additional XP. Now. I do have an alternative line of thought here. Everything Derek said is correct, but I do want to mention this other path because I think it's important. I'm not sure how many people play the game this way still, but it gets back to the idea of, you know, is D&D supposed to be fun, right? Like, is the DM's job, like, to make sure everyone has a fun time, blah, blah, blah. And Supposed to have fun, or can you have fun playing it? (laughs) Well, you know, and Derek and I are, are big believers that, like, fun is not the inherent goal, as silly as that sounds with this game. Right. To get more specific with that, the roots of this game and, and a great example that I think you can relate to is the RA game, right? The Rapano mm. game, right? We approach that game and the way people used to play this game, we approach it from a sense of real life, mm-hmm. right? So in real life, you know, if the three of us, not our characters, but the three of us were going to go explore a tomb that we knew had dangerous threats in it, right? Hyper-cautious. Hyper-cautious. <laughs> Hyper-prepared. Hyper-prepared. Yes. Right? We're going to spend our not inconsiderable money to prepare ourselves, right? We might even hire some specialists to aid us, right? We're going to get everything we can on this place. We're going to learn everything we can on this place, and we're going to go in, and we might go in. We might go in 40 feet before we're like, that's yeah. enough for today. Let's pull back and think about what we've learned, right? Like, because we don't want to die. Correct. Right? So the game was played that way before. Like, like you know... How do you survive a Ben game? Well, you don't just play it like an AP. Yeah. You go in, you sniff around, you get information, you don't stuff traps like people did in your game. You think about that, and if you need to, you pull back and you make a decision on it, right? Now, do you get experience points for that? No. So that's not, you're not getting reward for that gameplay. What do you get? You get knowledge. Knowledge leads to mastery of the environment. Mastery of the environment leads to the treasure hall, right? Think back again to what we used to talk about, about how these games were set up. You didn't get experience for anything except for the treasure. But the treasure was the most protected and guarded thing, right? Think about your your dungeon right mm-hmm. now. They want to get into the vault. That's where the goodies are. It's broken loot, right? Mm-hmm. I got into an argument with some GMs about 40 gold in a bear trap. I don't know what's in this vault, but I promise you it's more than that. Oh, yeah. yeah much Right? So you want that because you know that's good, right? But it's well guarded. It's the most guarded aspect of that, yep. right? So yeah, the I reward mean, is to learn and to gain mastery to not get killed yep. by doing something silly. And then once you have that, you go in and you crush it, and you get a reward far beyond what you would get for, call it the, the traditional AP uh, Pathfinder 2 handouts. Oh, good job. You played a session. Here's your 
balanced experience points in your balanced treasure. No, 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 we're not playing for that. We don't want that. We want Bob's treasure. We want we want a, a level six item at level one. Yep. You know. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say, you know, um, there there's a couple com there's a couple caveats to that. One is this idea of a delayed right delayed gratification. Correct. Right. Like the long the long. Play. Do you want like this channel? Do you want a small reward? <laughs> do you want a small reward? A small reward? A small reward? A small reward? Or do you want like no reward? No reward? Big reward. It, I guess it depends on the player. It does. But I can tell you that the problem with the small, the no, no big is there's a lot of players who might not grok with that because there's some gripe. They go, I didn't get anything. Well, right? I think that's why you have different types of adventures. Well, and, that, and that's right? where I think that's where the monster hunts are. Monster hunts scratch that itch, I think, really well. So in Northern Regions, for the people who are listening, we have different types of uh, delving experiences. They can mm -hmm. be a quick, uh, quick monster hunt, a more, uh, Stronger, bigger monster hunt, or these longer delves, or big tomb type delves that can take yep. up to six hours. And yeah, you want quick cash. The, the delves often have the the reward on the ten. Yeah, right. They're bounties. You know, a lot of the gyms are like, hey, an NPC is just going to pay you two hundred gold to go kill this thing. Awesome. You know exactly what you're going to get, and what yep. to expect. Right. right. A delve or a dungeon, even. Yeah, the part of it is you don't know what to yeah. expect. Right. And know? I definitely wanted. I and I put that in my players. I'm like. This some guy just walked outside and knows this place exists. You don't know what's there, but there. All right, so Bob tombs have treasure. Broken loot. Can, so I, let, can I continue with my treasure, or do you want to talk? Want to, uh, so let's ask another question before I continue. No, no, no. Okay. Um, so because my mistake is going to come up here in a all minute. Right, let's get to your mistake. <laughs> okay. Oh Ooh. right. Okay. So refresh <laughs> yeah. where we were because we were kind of off dead. So you, they, you, they they went down to the, the the skeleton guards. They crushed them. Right. They crushed they were very well prepared. Um, Which we think, again, you thought was a job. problem. I thought it was a problem. And Aaron and I thought it was great. So I thought these fights were going to take 30 minutes to an hour, and that one took like 10 minutes. So they easily went through. And I think they went cautiously because I think they thought I was going to have a lot of traps. Well, you had already there. shown them that there was a 180 XP fight that killed one of them. So, yeah, they're going to be cautious. But but I didn't have a lot of traps. And maybe I should have. I don't know yet. Learning from, from Tomb Bob 1.0 to Tomb Bob 2.0. They get around, they see a staircase, they go down the staircase, they get to a room that has three staircases. The one they came down, the one that goes up to these doors that are on the other side of the treasury room that they can't figure out how to unlock. The other one goes up to what they presume is the exact same thing on the other side. There's our mistake. So, so, uh, so, so to reiterate, when you were in that original chamber, there was a passway to the left and a, and passway, a passway to the, to the right. right. And they were, some, they were exactly the same. They were ex exactly Including the same. with the same number of skeletons. Uh, and, you are correct, sir. Okay, and then the stairs down. Uh, correct, sir. Correct. So they figured out that forward was an out. They went that way. They went. They went to to uh, doors that were down in this lower area. But let me just say what happened when they went eventually to the right. They went through that like a bat out of hell. They were like, "We're just going to go up to the room. I think there's an inset, and we're just going to kill the skeleton guards that are there." And I was like, "Because they were counting on you being symmetrical." Correct. Yeah. So there and four is my mistake that I made, and um. It's, what, not, that it, it's what, not that it's a mistake. Well, what I learned is I like the idea of symmetry because I think that's how I would lay something out if I built something. But the boring aspect is so real in a game. Sure, because they took the cautious approach the well, first yeah, because, time. I mean, I What's going to be around the corner? Now, there's something to be said about like... They just went through the second one. Like, there's something nothing. to be said about gaining knowledge and being able to use that in the game and mm -hmm. benefit from that. But they didn't even care about the second one. But that's the problem. The they problem, were just whatever. The problem is, is that if the party... 
only gets to literally explore 50% of the dungeon because the other 50% of the dungeon is the exact same thing. Right. They kind of go, okay, well, right. You're, you're sort of almost robbing them of that experience of the fun of exploring and figuring things out. And right. that is the fun part of the game. Correct. And there's I, little things you could do to play off that, right? So, like, you know, you're an architect. Yep. And so you're thinking, well, this, I, I this appreciate my tomb. this needs to make sense for you, right? But think about it in the terms of the world, right? All right. So maybe the tomb is symmetrical. But on the right side. Something happened. Yeah, there's a cave-in. Someone it talked into about a this before, breaking right. up my tombs that way. Right. But I wasn't even thinking... Do, right. Just even because, if the layout just is... The, built originally symmetrically doesn't mean that it is symmetrical now. You can scratch That's both my itches. Point. Yeah, can, I, can, I, can it look or presume to be laid out the same? Right. But something is different in this one. Creatures, different... Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. I, mean, I, mean, I mean, I will say this. If you're going to literally lay it out the same in terms of the structure... The, the, the architecture. You definitely need to mix up the... You definitely need to mix yeah. up the encounters. And so there is one of the biggest mistakes of Doom uh, Tomb Bob 1.0. Right. Is... Listen, I gotta say, you got the big things right. Oh, 100%. Don't right? don't stress about that. I would Fair still, enough. I would still give you a solid A. And Easily. I'll, and I'll, so anyway, they go down to the uh, lower chamber. This is now subfloor 2, because they went down from Tomb uh, subfloor 1. They see these two massive doors that are locked. They unlock them. They open them up, and they see in there, the one guy peeks in, the rest of them can't see. They see in there that there is some more skeletons in the corner of the room. They only see one. There's there's four, but they only see one. They go, oh boy, here we go again. Like, this has just got some more skeletons. We know what we fought before, so we know what we're, we're getting into. They also see a person sort of praying over a, uh, a another um, crypt, uh, another uh, coffin, cast, yeah, coffin. That's sitting in the middle, and he's he's doing something, he's saying something, and they don't know what's going on. So so then they they pull back. They say, "Okay, so I think we're going to do this." Is again very strategic of them. Yeah, they go. We know this is probably the end. Again, now now that they're meta gaming a little bit, they go, "This is probably the end." And I think that's okay. Okay, that's okay. This is this was going to be a 160 XP fight that they were about to come into. Which I also think is very bold of you, but you know, I said, I said, this is the end. The boss, the boss. This is the end of this encounter that I built. This, this tomb, 106 XP fight. They said, but this uh, double set of doors only 10 feet wide. Let's get him to come to us. These just unintelligent things. Mm-hmm. We're gonna get him to come to us. And I knew I was like, that's right and wrong at the same time. Now I knew this, but they didn't know this. So they they blast open the door and, and profit the guy that stabbed the damn uh, trap above. He was like. I yell, I yell some stuff at the cultist. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> the cultist does not respond. He, he, like, like make fun of him. Or he something. said something like, what are you doing here? What are you, what are you saying? I was like, okay, well now roll for, you know, roll for combat. And, roll for combat. Yeah, roll, roll for, for combat. Roll for combat. And uh, so boom, the cultist jolts to the back of the room that there was this portal that was not active. Okay. Back of the room. He bolts the back of the room. The other skeletons come to life. They start attacking the, the PCs. They pull back. And try to narrow them in the in the in the ten foot uh, area. Now they're playing super strategic, and the skeletons really can't get a big advantage now on them. So it took this big fight. Yep, it was one sixty XP. Again, the cult is sort of out of it now. He's gone to the portal, and, and it narrowed it down. They start demolishing these things. The cultist activates the portal, doing something. Something happens. He turns it off. He then comes back to them. They they crush this encounter. This encounter was nothing to them because they they played it strategically. Awesome. I don't know. I- <laughs> Sounds like they might have won the battle and lost the war. Correct. So what they realize is they, they come in. Now there's nothing here except for some chests and another 
another coffin that looks now open a little bit. Uh-huh. So, but it's it's surrounded by a pit of acid. Ben made fun of me. He goes, you know, those tombs with their acid, <laughs> they're so common these days. And I said, uh, Broken Coast has tombs of acid lore check. <laughs> like, and uh, Shackleberry, who's That's how be, people were yeah. buried in uh, the Broken Coast. Shackleberry's like, I'm running a, a, a something in, in, in Zone 1, which is the Broken Coast. And he's like, Note, acid and tombs. Correct. Like, I'm going to add now, that. Here, now, see, we, we make fun of that, <laughs> but fun. it is stupid little things like that that like make D&D campaigns. Correct. It's, right? It's like, funny. Like, uh, we played a 13th Age game, and there is a city. It's like a city of monsters. It's ruled by dragons uh, uh, called the Three. There's three great dragons. and But the city is like a city of monsters, you know, like ogres and trolls and, and, and minotaur, right? Yep. And the name of the city is Drakenhall. Okay. Sense. But... One of the players in my 13th age game, Matt Holloway uh, of Rise of the Rune Lords fame, kept accidentally calling it Drakenclaw. <laughs> Instead of Drakenhall, he kept, because he was like from that city. Yep, yep, yep. You know, and he would be like, he'd be like, well, you know, in a very Matt way, he'd be like, well, if I know Drakenclaw, you know, and uh, <laughs> you don't. <laughs> and, and, then, and then, well, no. And so we, 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 he got, it happened after like the first, after like the third time it happened, we were like, oh, no, no, no. It's like, Minneapolis, St. Paul. They're like, it's two twin cities. They're across the river from each other. They're like almost exactly the same. They're these massive cities of monsters. But the one on the east bank is called <laughs> Drakenhall, and the one on the west bank is called Drakenclaw. <laughs> that's where you're from. And so that's where you're from. You're from the you're from you're from St. Paul. They're yeah, from Minneapolis. And and it became part of our world that there were two cities. Um, and so it's like this funny joke where it. it's like it's like, oh yeah, it's part of their ancient burial traditions right. to inscribe them in a circle of acid to protect them, you know, something stupid. Correct. But it, it, it's dumb little things like that. And people it's one of those things which would never make sense in a book. It would never make sense in a movie. But it's one of those I mean, RPGs are almost defined by the statement you had to be there. Yep. Right. You know? You guys didn't yeah. My my campaign was awesome because we yeah. did X and X. Yeah, you had to be there. But you, you wouldn't get you it. You missed the session. It's like it's like inside jokes. Yep. Uh, our, inside our, jokes are hilarious our, to the group. Yeah, right. exactly. You try to, and then have you ever tried to explain? It's just I don't even do it anymore. I'm, I've, I've learned. I'm almost 40. I don't even try. <laughs> Last night, like, I was driving over the game. The girl was telling us an inside joke that her and her husband knew. She could not stop laughing. Right, she can't even tell the joke. She could not even tell the it's joke. It's so funny. Yes, I've been in that situation, and too. And we were all like, I mean, it's kind of funny because you're laughing so hard. I right? am but laughing. the joke itself right. is not funny. I am laughing at you. <laughs> I am not laughing at the joke. Right. I've learned in my life, I don't even try anymore. Right? To try to explain. Like, okay, let me explain to you why this was so funny. No, I don't even try to. You had to be there. RPG campaigns are one big, you had to be there. <laughs> Yeah, one big inside. And I joke. think that's what's so fun about them, though. That's why, like, my beer and pizza league is gonna be so fun. It's sort of like so. That's a good uh, transition. Well, I well, I want to finish. Okay. Because the, the the acid had a purpose. The acid had a purpose because it was protecting this particular um, coffin. And the GM Scott did a great job. He they started uh, uh, they started throwing rocks in the acid. How how corrosive is this acid? Burns it immediately. I had made this acid very deadly. super corrosive acid, very deadly. But for whatever reason, it wasn't hurting the uh, tomb itself. And the crypt. And the one guy, he, he took a vat of it, didn't burn his glass immediately. He, like, threw it on the portal. It didn't burn the portal. So they knew this is some kind of material that wasn't being killed with the acid. So he took his polearm, he pushed off the lid into the crypt, or the acid, and didn't burn. I didn't think that's what they were going to do, but he did that. They're like, perfect. Now we'll just walk on that thing and look inside the crypt to find out what hap- what's happening inside the crypt. Nice. Or the, um, the casket. And I said, what you see is the imprint of something that used to be there. Okay. 
And they, they made it called medicine checks. Uh, that's a soft move. Uh, a, a, a foreshadow approaching badness. Well, you also note that uh, when the encounter started, uh, Bob utilized his prep uh, by activating the portal. Correct. There we go. So they took a couple medicine checks because they were like, what is this imprint? They realized that the imprint was of a, a large heart. And so... So they buried a heart in the sarcophagus. Exactly. A big heart. Big heart. And they were protecting was it. Was it square or rectangle? So the 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 coffin. The, the sarcophagus. It was co- It was a rectangle, coffin, but that was yeah. the default uh, image. So they had this file. big heart, and they're just like, "Yeah, we're just throwing a typical yeah, coffin." Yeah, yeah, just a typical <laughs> coffin. And what they Plus, really, we spent all of our money on this asset. We don't. We <laughs> yeah. can't build a nice fancy coffin no. for this. But what I think they realized was that the cultists took the heart, did something with the portal. Yep. Shot heart's no there. longer there. Gotcha. Took him a while to figure out that the cultist had something on him to activate the portal. The portal, and then what well, I think I did, I, I think I did excellently, but maybe my players don't know this yet. So spoilers, I guess, a little bit, not really, but there was uh, three symbols on the portal, and um, one of them was active when they put in the um, item that they found to activate the portal. And they realize this is sort of like a two-way line, that the other side of the portal has to be open or they can't activate the portal. But some of the portal writing was scratched off. They couldn't read it. This lets me let a uh, portal to a new zone in the future. Gotcha. <laughs> if, oh, I, if I wanted very to. Nice. Very nice. You know, so it's, it's, it's scratched off now because yep. for whatever reason. No, so I was doing a little foreshadowing. And then they eventually went to their side, killed their right. stuff, left. They figured out that they're going to need a dwarf party. They left. They gave them a bunch of XP. They got some treasure. They realized that there's things they had to do. That was yeah, that was the campaign. Sounds amazing. Yeah, I mean, it sounds really great. So that was that was Bob two point two So quickly, yes, yeah, I had a great time doing you know, it. As we as we kind of coast yes. through here for our through for, through our first hour. Yes. Um, talk to me. How does that contrast with your five E experience with new players? So in whereas and in, and, and let me under, tell me how you are preparing or feel differently. For that group versus this group. I'll so tell, so I'll tell you're you running quick. Uh, an adventure. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the big difference. And you're running uh, Storm King's Thunder. Storm yeah. King's Thunder and 5e. So I do almost no prep. And I just read a little bit about what's going to happen in the future. I, I read already through the whole Do you adventure. like that better? Um, I would have told you n- yes, yes. But I don't know if that's true now. No. Oh, and the oh, reason... He's got a taste. <laughs> he's got a taste. <laughs> yeah. I he's got, got a taste. Uh, he likes okay. how it tastes. So... I, I, it's got pros and cons. Okay. I like the idea that it's already written. I have this crazy story that's got a lot of depth, and I already know it's sort of what's supposed to happen and what's going to happen, and I don't have to go that far into it. I just got to prep my map the day before. I know they're going to only get so far. These guys are all new. The biggest thing that they're doing is trying to figure out what their even actions they're supposed to take are. They're trying to discover lore. We're sort of making stuff up on the spot. 5 is pretty loose. It's fun. And one guy took a bear rug and he's gonna decide, decided to wear it. So I'm gonna probably give him a little <laughs> bonus that he's gonna be intimidated against, or he gets like a plus one intimidation against bears. Well, that sounds great to me. That yeah. sounds pretty awesome. Robert was like, my, my, like, oh, my cousin Robert. They went to a room. They're like, there's nothing in there except there's a bearskin rug. That's what's said in the AP. And he goes, he goes, uh, he's super new. He has no idea. What right. to do. He doesn't even know how to like perform uh, attacks. He goes, I take the bearskin rug. I tie it on my my uh, myself like a, like a like a cape or a cloak. I go. Okay, that's that's yeah. super sweet. Uh, honestly, that's why new players. I'm like, it's are just awesome. a it's just a bear rug. And he right. goes, yeah, I thought it would be cool. I'm yeah, like, new, new players are awesome. I'm like, like that. I might need to make a note that the bear rug is something different in the future. I'm like, and I looked up online. There were some people that were had had bear capes, and yeah. I'm like, yeah, I like your ideas. Like, yeah. I'm, I might 
it's gonna be plus one intimidation if you if you all use the, the players cape. Are gonna be like, well, this is just furniture description. I'm gonna ignore it. And that's what happened. Maybe Everyone ignored it. it. And Robert was like, I'm yeah. gonna have fun with this. That's and why new I players like, are awesome. Yes. So it's a beer and pizza league. They're a lot of fun. It's great and it's fun and it's easy and it's relaxing and we could drink beer and I'm not really caring. But but it's already played out. Like I know what's supposed to happen. And so now I'm building this tomb 1.0, or I just built it. Now I got a GM that's asking me for advice on his thing, and it might impact what he's doing. And I have to do tomb 2.0 next that I'm going to do that's going to be the other piece of this ritual that these things are developing to resurrect this tomb of this, this triune monster or something. We don't really, it's not fully fleshed out yet, but that's what's so cool about it. It's like it's an ever developing situation that i'm sort of yeah. piecemealing together but well, it, i get to know, use my creativity which i don't get to use in ap right i have no creativity in ap I, I just have fun with my players and i'm just doing it and it's fun you're having fun playing with, playing the with your friends right and, but, and you're enjoying the social aspect of the game that is very fun which is great which is great it's very important but yeah. let's never discount that but I had, I had a lot of fun playing with the other guys too now they they go in like super strategic which yeah. the other in my 5e, they're just like having fun. And they're like, ah, what's going on here? Let's look at this. Oh, that's a crazy and we're not going to do that. Or let's fight this or whatever. These guys are like, yeah, they're, they're, they're like on a team mission. of operators. Yeah, they're, they're on a mission. But I get to have so much creativity and flexibility with that. And I think there's a sense also, um, and you've talked about this before, Derek, is that because you created it, you know what could or might or want to happen in this place. Oh, yeah, it's, it's your yeah. baby. So when they start effing with uh, Storm King's Thunder, I'm like, well, let me look, pull yeah, up, look look up pages. Uh, oh, that might have an impact or might not. When it's my thing that I created, I'm like... You instantaneously. You don't, have, like, well, you don't have to look it up. I'm like, did, here's, did, here's, did, a, here's what could or not happen. You mm-hmm. ever heard me talk about APs? Because I, I can be very critical of them. That's what I mean when I say, for me personally, APs are harder to run. It requires more effort and more prep. Because I if, want to if be. You care about it. Well, and uh, listen, if not, if you're just I'm playing pizza an AP. Yeah. I'm like, I want to be true to this material because we've chosen as a group, supposedly, but you're, to play but this. You're a more dedicated, experienced player. But if you were playing in a beer pizza league, you're just like, these I guys are like, just, more loose. But just give me the motions. What are we supposed to go to next? I would do, no, but to be honest, I would probably still do something similar to like, oh, you did this thing? I don't know what that does. Let, Let me, me look check. it up. Right? Which right. is what I handed you with right. the well, you're, you're just talking about you're just talking about how this is just a, basically an excuse for you guys to hang out and drink, you know, drink beer right. and eat pizza. But you still are sitting talking about like, well, I had to flip through and look it up. I and, did. I right. did have to do that, but it was well because there's a fear. There's a fear or a concern I have less about, fear getting it, about getting it wrong. <laughs> right. I, I have less fear with my friends than I do running a game, say on this uh, this Patreon Discord that we have a lot of uh, very experienced players. Now, again. It's great that they actually have so much experience, and they're so they're actually, they're actually so experienced that they they understand that I'm a new GM. So they're not like, excuse well, me, you got GMs. it wrong. Right, a lot yeah. of them are GMs, and they're going to be way more uh, yeah, understanding like, than any player would be. I, I, but they I say think. it so nicely. They're like, I actually, Bob, I think that was actually an extreme fight, but 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 sweet extreme fight. And I'm like, well, it was an extreme fight. They're like, yeah, but it still counts. That's that's super legit. And I'm like, thanks guys. And, no. Yeah, I kind of ran that wrong, but I. I Kudos to you guys for just like taking it in stride. Like, yeah, it was cool. Well, side so, so related to that, you know, I think players who GM become better players. GMs who play become better GMs. I think you're absolutely right, and that's why I'm so excited to play both. Well, it's also one of the reasons why I think personally that our community games, our northern, which is any system, right, our but, northern reaches games, are so good, right. And we've heard this from many patrons, is because so many people on our server. 
right? Basically, most of them are forever GMs. Correct. Absolutely true. So this is a one a rare opportunity. They for have to to, been in your seat, right? They have been. Yeah, you and know. some of them are are excitedly. I, I, they're like, I only am the GM. I've never been a player. I'm kind of excited to run in Northern Reach where I can be a player once in a while. Yeah, just that, have some fun. That's a big deal for a lot of people. But yeah. but when you're in the other side, you on you you know you get you get the burden. You know. Yeah. I'll give, give you a great example. I had a lot uh, of fun uh, doing uh, it. I'll give you a great <laughs> example. When I'm on a plane, okay. If I get onto a plane and there is a family there and they've got a younger child and that child is crying, I have no sympathy for them and I want them all to die. He's a, he's a terrible human being, Derek. Okay. Is. No, he's just I he's not a parent. Okay? I have full sympathy because for you're a parent. But, exactly. But, but once you become a parent, but a kid shit next, pissed, pissed the seat next to me in an airplane, and I was horrified. Okay, it smelled so bad. Okay, well, that's, 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 that's kind that's, of extreme. That's yeah. literally that, that's on another level. I was level. flying a six-hour flight to Germany. Okay, it was but my, terrible. But my point is, is once you become a parent and you know what you you don't you're like this ends. This is only a three-hour plane ride for me. This is the rest <laughs> of this person's yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is never ending for this person. Wherever they're going is going sympathies, to be hell. Yeah, right. Like, and they're I, most likely not going somewhere to drop their kids off. Right. And I, <laughs> so I always see this on planes. There's people like me who are sitting there just going like, you know, grumbling, and they're you know screwed. Their faces screwed up, and they're rolling their eyes, and they're like this fucking. And there's always the people who are going like, my heart, you know, you know my like, heart's out to be, you. Being like, be like. Good job. You know, like, well, good luck, buddy. There's another tier, too. You get the older parents, the grandparents even, who go, oh, I miss those right, days. Right, I miss it. I miss it. See, I'm not even there yet. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, we're like, yeah. how do we not take our kids on this plane? Because right. we know it's going to be awful. So my 18th point is, birthday, my present to my kids is going to be a moving truck. Yeah. There you go. But my, my point is, is that once you're a GM, when you're playing with someone who is a new GM, you're a lot more sympathetic to pretty much everything. I also you, think you, you, Derek, personally have built a community of people that are very respectful. Sure. And I, and I hope the people on our Patreon hear that and, and also know that we want you to be respectful, and I, and I kudos to you for being respectful. So keep that up because it will actually encourage more people to be GMs when you're like that. Yeah. You're going to get more fun out of your games when you can have other people step up into that seat. Well, I, think, I feel like I'm so yeah, happy I, I, to do it. Well, and I think that's, you know, for people who may be listening to this podcast who aren't members of our Patreon, but I would say that, you know, one of my greatest concerns— is, you know, there's been this huge rise in the number of people who play VTT-only games. Mm -hmm. Anonymity and social media and being able to just to be a, a username on the internet is horrible for people's behavior. Yep. And I feel like... I hide behind my keyboard. You know, I feel like there's a lot of people out there who are playing these games, whether they're running them or playing in them, but they are playing with a group of people or playing with a GM or playing with other players who, quite frankly, don't have any sort of need or, or or consequence to be good and reasonable and yeah. understanding. Yeah. And I wonder how many people out there are having bad experience. We've 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 read the, some of the horror stories. Oh gosh. On Reddit, and we see people who are playing in these online games, and you have people who are you know, you know, Fighter Master Twenty Two. And they're playing in their, you know, whatever. They're, who's, they're, who's Thor from uh, New, New Master? New Master. <laughs> um, uh, you know, they're playing on their, they're playing their Roll20 game, a 5e or whatever. And these people are acting absolutely, unconscionably yeah. horrible. And in any real game, they would have got a swift boot to the ass and been asked to leave and never come back. Which is why I think it's actually so beneficial with the Patreon because these people well, actually a, care. Right. It's a real community of pit people and players who, quite frankly, number one, pay to be there. And then right. two, you know, they value the community and they don't want to be a pariah and they don't want to be a problem. And so, yeah, you know, I mean, you have to respect people. I'll give you one more too, yeah. just to go in this uh, 5e game. I have my 5e game. 
uh, next week. And I don't know when I'm going to run my next 2E Northern Reaches, but it's probably going to be when you're on vacation and, yeah. and you're moving. Um, I actually think I am more excited for the 2E Ooh. game. And the reason is... Pathfinder 2E. The Pathfinder the Northern one that Reaches yeah. Pathfinder 2E game. And the reason is, is not because I don't like hanging out with my buddies and my cousins and, and let's stuff. let's be clear. Because that is so much fun. And let's be clear, Bob. It's my buddies. Yeah. You, you, Family. For, for you, you know... The, Let's just all hang out and get drunk was like a big reason. I love drinking that and you, eating pizza. <laughs> that you were in, the, that you kind of into role playing games, right? But, okay. Yeah. Like, I, well, I had so much fun drinking so, and so the, eating so, pizza. So the game where the, you are making it up. I'll give you doing, one guess. Why do you think I'm more excited for the for the two E game and then versus the five E game? And it's not because of the people, because I actually love well, playing with my five E uh, friends because more you're, fun. Because you're looking forward to seeing how they react to the dungeon that you yes, build. Yes, in a sense. You don't know what's going to happen. That's what it. Oh, I you don't know don't what's going to happen. Know. Good call. I don't even know what I'm going to build, and I don't know what they're going to do. Yeah. And I don't know what it's going to do to the world. You I don't know what's going to happen. That is. And it's wild to me. That's, yeah. I have the AP, I already know. I already read it. Right. Well, I know the whole thing. So I got, I got two things. One's a comment, <laughs> the second's a question. <laughs> You just won the game. Oh, oh is that this? Reward. It sounds ben like we're like taking had, a break for weather. Ben said he has so much issues with your with that. I know. <laughs> you play it's like so every loud. soundtrack on the thing. He just shit himself. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Ben. Ben, love you, patron. Uh, ben, for people that know, he does our sound work on the audio. It's yeah. fantastic. But yeah, no, okay, continue, Aaron. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so um, I was going to say, one of the things that that has been hard, I think, for a lot of our new GMs. Because, again, Northern Reach is great for someone who's thinking about yep. GMing, right? Checkleberry uh, has never run. He's just super excited to do it. And that's awesome, right? And you can come in. It's 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 a low commitment. You play when you want to play. Um, you know, we have these – we talk about these monster fights, these uh, monster hunts that yep. you can do, which it's is a quick couple session. encounters. Quick session, yeah. uh, I've even helped uh, some GMs with some maps, right? They might be new to Foundry. They may not have the materials. Um, there are great tools, and I personally like it from a creative aspect, right? You know, I don't have time to run games, but, like, I like making maps, and I can make them pretty quick. Um, so, like, we've helped GMs, like, prep for their sessions, right? Um, great, great time to learn a game, right? So so there's that aspect of it, and, and, and we have a lot of new GMs, and some of them have a very hard time grasping what you're grasping. And Derek and I will try so hard to be like, no, listen, there's something here, there's something good, right? But we have... What I call prep of uh, paralysis of prep, where these GMs go, well, if I don't write out my entire plot and script and all the hooks and all the lore, I can't run a game. Because what if my players go and do something else? Like, like you want your players to go do something else. That's when the game gets exciting, right? When the players do yeah. something unexpected, you're like, okay, now the game's started. Right? Take it to another level. Well, in well, Northern well, Reaches, I'm giving thing. it to another GM. That's correct. And well, his but, players are going to change my my idea. Right. Well, What's going to happen? I have right. no clue. And it's that, awesome. And that's awesome, right? Like, Shackleberry's like, literally like, I'm like, I have six six ticks on my clock until, quote unquote, Triune is resurrected. Right. But I'm like, is he going to be resurrected at full power? Right. Or, or is he not? Or also, what does that even mean? What does that mean? Exactly. But Shackleberry's like, all right, maybe I'll throw that in my thing. I said, well, if your PCs fail, then we're going to tick one more clock on Triune. But if they succeed, maybe it's one tick for the PCs. And maybe Triune, we start a new clock. Something happens. The resurrection. But I'm like, but that's my concept in another GM's world. I'm like, that's why this is cool. I'm like, to be clear, that's something you don't even get in a normal game. This is a unique experience for a lot of people. It's wild for me. Yeah, but it should be wild for a lot of people. It's like writing a book where you have a. It's very exciting for me to hear that that is, you know, that, 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 to see that happening. Imagine you wrote a chapter of a book that you have an ending that you thought about, 
And then the second chapter was written by Aaron. And I'm like, then I read his chapter. I'm like, oh, that fucking changed my ending. Right. It's like a continuously, well, that's what it's supposed to be, a continuously right. developing book. Right. Well, but more, the, 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 but thing the that, ending but, is always changing. Right. There's no but, well, the ending. And but. the thing that is the most important, though, is that it's not going to be you and it's not going to be Shackleberry nope. that decides the outcome. It's right. The players. It's going to be the players. Yep. That's what makes RPGs cool. And that's what should make it cool for everyone's campaign. Right. That's why, that's why I'm, I'm used, so used to running APs and now I'm kind of like, I could almost do this. I, it seems like a lot of work, but I could almost do this for my friends. Where it's in, which what you're doing basically, or what you all want to do, is like you could just sandbox it, and it's an ever-growing world well, where because, things are. And, and I it think seems the, intimidating, yeah. but with other supportive GMs, it's yeah. actually not. The so thing about the, the thing about the sandbox is that people get confused about is the sandbox is not should not be thought of as like like the literally Sahara, nothing the Sahara Desert, right? Like mm -hmm. just literally right. nothing. This this is what you thought. The sandbox the, was. When you right. tell me sandbox, that's what I think. Sahara right. Desert, right? But nothing. like that, that first campaign there. that we we basically shelved, it was not that. Like yeah. there were things, there were places, there were there were situations. Right. It's, it's, it's okay for the GM to have ideas, right, yeah. about what could happen and what might happen, and they influence the other chapters of the book. But it, 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 there's a big difference between because that's going to give you structure, right? Yeah. And, and structure is good, yes. Because when you are in the Sahara Desert, when you are in that perfect sandbox, the players look north. They look east. They look south. They there's look west. Something there, and there's nothing there though. I'm in, saying, that, in, 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 Sahara, in a Sahara yeah. desert, correct. Instead, what you need to do is you do need to provide them with some sense of structure or scale yes. or understanding of consequence. Now, what's different is you know what might happen, you know what could happen, but you don't know what will happen. Right, and that is all the difference in the world. Correct. And I'm trying to pull myself back because when you're writing a book. Of course, you know what will happen. Correct. So when I, if, if I was writing the book of the Tuma Triune, the PCs have no, they have no choice. Correct. They're doing what I said. This is what's going to happen. And you resurrect him after X amount of sessions, and he's this amount of strength, and that's what you fight. No. Correct. I don't know if he's going to be resurrected. Right. I don't know how strong he's going to be, what his power is going to be. Maybe, maybe he's ridiculously strong. Maybe he's really, really weak. Or maybe he doesn't resurrect at all. Right. Maybe they maybe, you choose. Maybe they resurrect him into the weapon that kills him immediately, right. and they're like, "We just loot his body." You right. Know, I don't and know. now we have this <laughs> artifact sword. Maybe the cultist's plan stopped. Maybe this has nothing to do with anything. I I don't know. Right. And I'm pulling maybe myself. Maybe someone rallies the orcs in the other zone. Oh, that's the gym zone too. <laughs> to come in and fight. I I, I have the cultists. That's what, actually what's really cool. Again, again, this is a plug for Northern Reaches, but when I'm, I'm yeah, the building in Georgia. This whole podcast has been a plug I'm, for yeah, it's not meant to be, okay. It's not meant to be. It's but. not meant to be, but if you guys are listening, it's kind of it's kind of interesting. And I'm going to be building in GM Zone 2 next. So now my next task, which is pretty cool, is going to be working with GMs in Zone 2 about how this idea concept I have for whatever Bob 2.0, Tomb 2.0 Bob is going to be, what is it going to be? Yeah. Well, I heard there's orcs. They're mm -hmm. on the freaking massacre over there in GM Zone 2. Well, actually, they're in 3. I thought two, they were in 2. Jagged Pine. Jagged Pine. I thought yeah. the orcs were. No, they're in Bloodlands. They're in okay. the Bloodlands. So I'm going to... The, the, so the orcs in the Bloodlands are... Ransacking? Well, they they may be savage, but they're not stupid, and they're recognizing Ooh. the threat of Northport, and so now they are beginning to... Holy Toledo. Uh, so come under the banner so of a leader. so many consequences. So, again, this is a Patreon plug, but... Yeah. Craziness in Northern Point or yeah. North well, Point. No, but I mean, it's I, heating up. I mean, it's I think, up. you know, I hope that people at least appreciate, you know, hearing sort of, um, yeah, a lot of been, what, it, what it's been like, what it's been like for you or what it could be for others. Well, the reason we're talking about this is because we're excited. Because uh, let me tell you, actually, I mean, I more than yeah. a Northern Reaches plug, I think if you're listening to this podcast, I think this is a you should, you should get out there and try to GM 
plug. For yep. sure. Yep. It's just something I didn't think I could do. Right. And number and two I is it. I did it. And number two is have the courage and the conviction. Don't commit. You don't have to commit to 20 levels. You know, I, re- I ran a four know, hour session. Commit, commit to commit to a one shot or a two shot or a three shot game. Build a little dungeon. Watch night school. Build a little dungeon Here's you do. for you and your friends. Don't don't map it out. Don't plan it out. Don't plot it out. Just create a cool place with some cool things that are, might be happening. Let the players get in there and 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 poke and prod and mess with shit. Yep. Twist knobs and pull levers. Okay, and spin dials. See what happens. And Using your innate, there. It, using your innate, literal, right, like inherent knowledge, because you built the place. When the players do something that you're not expecting, you will. This is what this is why GMs exist. You'll go, okay. I think this is what would happen. You know, that's, I, what, you know that, I that? that's what makes the most sense, right? And that's logical. Yeah. And yeah. given what I know about this location, and I do know it really well because I built I, it. It's um, funny. I, I I can I did the whole thing off memory because I built it. Right. I remember the whole That's campaign. Every XP, every treasure, I built the whole thing. Your notes just become reminders at that point. But what I will say Correct. is instead of running a one shot, which I'll be able to do, run a 1.5 shot. Right. All right. You run the one shot, but that 0. 0.5 is what will happen next? Well, you know, to a certain... What does, what does your actions for me, create? For me, the rule of three always applies. I, <laughs> oh. I, I think, I think, I think... Tyune is I, the I rule hate, of three. I hate, <laughs> I hate one shots. I would play like a three shot. Yeah. You know, because that has a chance for me. It's like, it's like the first session, we don't know what's going on. Yes. The second session, okay, we know what's going on and we understand what's at work here. The third session, we are prepared. We know we can come in there and we can either make it, you know, make a difference or, or, or die trying. But I think whatever. you always want to leave the ability to, to expand further. And that's what I was talking about where you said, you know, you don't know where it's going to go. It could just end. They mm-hmm. explored the tomb. They killed the cultist. The heart got away. Whatever. We're done playing. We want to go to something else. The the campaign's over. Or adventure's over. Mission's over. But what if those things have consequences? What if your actions have well, that's things? The, by the way. And now you, it's by now, the way, Bob, now it's the so next, Bob, session, as next you, session. As you say those words. Yes. That's why I don't like one shots. Correct. Because, because it, it is it is the rippling effects. The after that's why effects. it can't be a one shot. It has to. Which well, no, is but I mean, reaches. but that's why I like campaigns and not one right, shots. Right. But what because, do you call Northern Reaches? Oh, it's, so, I mean, it's a campaign. It's a campaign. But I'm yeah. talking about like you know how we always talk about things. That's you're like, you're, like, really oh, you're like, oh, I'll run, I'll run a one shot, and I go, I hate one shots. One shots reason, to me are like holiday editions. The reason why I hate one shots is because the reason I play role playing games is to see yeah. those consequences and that rippling outward of a pebble in the pond and how those ripples affect other things and seeing I think five, I'm finally 10, understanding it though. 20 sessions later, you go, man, this is all happening because of everything else that we did. And I'm, it becomes this I'm, sort of beautiful music. I'm, I'm realizing that. Like I, I ran that session. That's all I did. I just ran that session. Right. That session. But it's, you've, you've built a whole world right. now, right? I like, built this, this clock. Of this thing that could or might not happen, I have no clue. And now, other but, but, but here's the most important like, part. Here's the most important part. I bet you you can't wait to find out what actually does happen. That's, that's my point. Right. When that's when why I, he's more excited for this. Right, that's exactly I am right. more excited for this right. than I am for my five E. Not because of the people. Sure. I love my friends and cousins and family more. I, I I'm sorry, patrons. I love them more. <laughs> my family. I'm more excited to play with them, but I kind of wish they were playing in this because it's so much cooler. Like this right. would be so cool. Like it. Yeah, and I, I I don't know what's gonna happen. I and you, the... the players, don't know what's gonna happen. We are all exploring this together, and it, and I'm like, so I'm learning from the GMness that I can I can create 
Tomb Bob 2.0, it's going to be better built. Of course. Hopefully, yeah. uh, learning that I didn't make as many mistakes <laughs> as I did, but it's going to be better than I did before. But also, it's going to be... It's going to impact so much more. It might have orcs. Well, it no, might because, not. It well, might have so much well, cool well, but things. Also, too, like what, what you'll start to learn, and this is so cool when you're playing with your home table, but it's also even cool when you're playing with a community like we've built. It becomes more and more. It becomes not just your dungeon. Oh, that's fair. Right? It becomes their dungeon. Right. They they have had as much shaping on what goes on and what happened and everything else as you did. Yeah, this right? is what we and mean they, when we they, talk about like, they start the to real feel, story. They start to feel. Yeah. They start to feel a certain sense of ownership, like a connection to it. To your yeah. what you think it's your dungeon, they kind of think it's theirs. And in a sense, and they are be, right. And, and, and yeah. specifically, Northern Reaches, it becomes our. And that's what yes. I'm saying. This is but, Northern but it, Reaches, but in a, a non-Northern Reaches, non it becomes. It, it could become a play. It could become becomes, just your group of players, but it becomes the tables. Yeah, and in Northern Reaches, it becomes the discourse, and that becomes back to your inside joke. It's it's one big we one did this. we built joke. this we we built this we decided what happened right we let the cultists get away for a second correct we could have shot him with an arrow right or and his heart never went it that could way. have gone eighteen million different ways we don't know right. but it went the way that we made it happen and, and now the that GM's is the job is to to turn that one session into right. the next the, whatever the, it's going to be and and what gets robbed awesome. what's get robbed is if you had written. That the cultist goes and activates the portal, and that happens. And the players, whether they know it or not, because a lot of times that information is hidden from them, right? right? Because it would be secret, and they wouldn't want no. to ruin the game for people. They figured it out later. But they did you, not know what happened. But, at it, the but, it, but <laughs> if you go, if the players kick in the door, the cultist runs and activates the portal. If the play, if the players sneak in the room and they shoot the guy with the arrow, he goes and activates the portal. If the party um, completely ignores it, he goes and activates the portal. If the party kicks in the door, wins initiative, kills him in the first round, he goes and he activates the portal. <laughs> right? There's no. That's that, a railroad. That that is. Why are we playing? Yeah. I was like, if they go in and shoot, because they had a ranger with them, like, they could definitely do this. If they kick open the door and they just blast this cultist, yep. Yep. he might be injured. Maybe he can't get to the door. Right. I don't know. Right. We'll but never he, know. But he right. but he started talking to him like, oh, this guy's for sure. He's running away. Yeah. Well, they took a defensive <laughs> position. Yep. Yeah. Right? And, I'm like, he's running away. And, like, and, and, and they won the battle. And, and right or wrong, like you said, Aaron, they won the battle, but maybe they lost the war. Right. Right. Um, and that's, I'm actually excited for the next GM that's going to run it. What is he gonna do? Right. How is he gonna change the story? Or is it not gonna change? Is it gonna continue on his path? Right. I have no clue. And the only thing that you can hope is that they are as um open and 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 loose and free and willing to oh. accept the player's actions as you I hope Shackleberry's listening to this right. because <laughs> well, and, and, I might and again, him. <laughs> you know, this Northern Reaches game is important for our patrons to have fun and, and collaborate, but it's also a great opportunity. This channel, this podcast has always been about entertainment and education. And this is a way for <laughs> us because what Knights of Last Call represents, so what people don't appreciate about us and about me is we are a, we are not grognards. Okay, so for all the people out there who think that they we're just the, think you're a dick. Well, okay, <laughs> that might be true. But for all the people out there who think that I like worship the old school, that couldn't be further from the truth. Right. There's a ton about old school gaming that I hate. Well, okay, I, I, there's I, a lot about the OSR I don't like. I actually think you, you're very open minded because you'll grab new systems that just came out and go, "That's interesting." Right. But I also clocks. Feel, right. What? But I also <laughs> feel like there is a lot of. Um, but I'm also not this. Uh, you know. 
super like the game doesn't matter and we can just sit around and right. just talk and I we think don't you need respect the game. You care about the game. That's I do. why you say that. Well, it's it's what it is is I understand very intimately because I've seen it happen again and again and again and again and again the power that these games can have when played. Mm, um, I don't want to use the word correctly, but when played in a certain manner, they can generate an experience. Okay, that is unlike any other experience that you will get from any other game. I don't know how you can even replicate it. You can't. Yeah. You can't. It just cannot be done. And it's so like when, a weird connection. So when people say kinship, that when people say developed. that it is the GM's job, the game to be fun, and I say I disagree with that. The reason is, as I say, it is the DM's job to provide an experience, not fun, an experience. Right. If the players come to your table and they play and then they leave and it didn't affect them, then you made a mistake. Right. The goal should be for the players to experience something. And 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 Aaron, I was the best man at Aaron's wedding. And in my speech, I made this, this paragraph about how, like, we had been through life and death together, mm -hmm. and we'd gone on many great quests and travels, and we'd been through thick and thin and hell and all this other stuff. And then I basically made a joke being like— And, and, and some and of them were some of it real. actually was real. <laughs> Most of it was not. And I meant that because what you described, Bob, is true. You're playing this imaginary game. Yes. With pretend dice. Yes. But the human mind, you know, if the Matrix has taught us anything, right. the human mind, what is real? Right? We've, how do you define real? How do you define? We, we say this almost every you podcast, see, smell, right? Touch. You, you see, Taste. your smell, touch. Role playing games have the way have have the, have the have the cool ability to hijack your cerebellum, yep, and bypass the fact that you that, that this isn't this isn't real, but that the bond, the kinship, the emotion. I was going to say the emotion that you feel in the game. When you leave it and then you look back at it through the lens of memory, goes, my brain thinks that was real. I'm more connected to those four players than I am some of the other patrons that I've talked to more because I've, I've created something. You feel something. like you've yeah. been through something with them. Yeah. I, and I was the you, GM. It's like I you, didn't even. Right, right. But know. I was like, in profit, I'm like, I'm like, I don't know. I don't even know you. But I'm like, I feel like I ran through it with you. Right. I've been through. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's like you, you shared the GM. It's like you shared a foxhole with him in like World War II or something. I'm like, you're, you're, you're sweet, dude. I'm like, uh, GM Scott. I, I knew GM Scott before. I'm like, right. Yeah, you're I, cool. You're I cool. Mean, you're cool. But I ran it with listen, him. And I, listen, I've experienced this a ton. And I'll tell you where. At conventions. Okay. Oh, really? I, I will go to a convention and I will sign up for a four hour or six hour slot. Could be D and D. But a lot of times it's like an indie RPG. Okay. You know, mm -hmm. or something like that. Because I like to play those a lot. Because I normally play a lot of. D20 based games right, right. Um, at home. And, you know, it doesn't look, it doesn't always hit. But sometimes at like the end of that um, experience of the four or five hour session, you know, you're high fiving these yeah. people. It's your brothers. I, I mean, do, you do you remember, remember just in sisters just in, in combat? All right. Uh, well, no, were you there? Were you there with the whiskey flask for the indie game? I think you were. You were there. You played with me. There was somebody who bust out a flask. I do remember the flask. I don't remember. And they started passing around the flask yeah. of whiskey, and we were all yeah, like Blood Brothers. Um, I don't remember what we were playing. I don't remember what we were playing either. But I was gonna say, do you remember uh, Justinian? Justinian? Yes. Yeah. So this was a guy that played. Uh, I was running uh, games at a con way back when I used to go, and we ran into him like two or three years in a row. Wow. I mean, this, this guy was like a brother. He, he kept coming back year after year. At Gen, 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 Gen Con. Con. At Gen, Gen Con. Con. Oh wow. Well, yeah, there was a couple years in a row where Aaron basically set up shop. 
he basically found a table. That's what I did at the time. And he, and for like eight hours a day, Aaron would basically just set up a GM screen in a big area. And he'd, he'd claim a table. And he'd, Show up. And he'd be, like, he'd be like, anybody wants to sit down and play? We're playing through this massive dungeon. And, and this the, one the guy. The last session was pretty bad. I had like. Fan would be proud. Had like twelve players or something. Yeah. It was oh ridiculous. my god! But this one, <laughs> but this one guy kept coming back. Literally year after year, there were like repeats. He's like looking for you. And yeah, and, yeah. yeah. And, and here's the thing: we didn't know this guy, but he, but in his mind, we were like, mm. is he in the Patreon? No, we I need to find him. Oh, I haven't <laughs> seen him in a long time. Him. But um, I hope you're doing well, Justinian. Yeah, if you're out there, Justinian, uh, props <laughs> to you. But like, my point is, um, you can very quickly create these incredible bonds with people. Over what is essentially just a, a, a silly game. It happens in sports, a, too. A silly game. You create bonds with these people you you go, go to war with. You go to this competition yeah. with. You go to battle. You you put in time, sacrifice, energy with these people, and you care about that thing that you did. You care about them, too. Yeah, I mean, I guess another way to think about it, 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 it is. It's a lot like a team sport. It's a kinship. You know, and it, and you build that sort of um, build that sort of um. Well, I don't know if you want to s- schedule into part two now or not. Yeah, no, we, no, we can. Well, well, I, actually, I have a, I have a question. Okay, yes, it's absolutely. a little controversial, Uh-oh. right? And, and 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 I love controversy. Um, it was kind of just for Derek, but I think now it can apply to both. Okay, you guys, right? Yeah, and, and I upgraded. Is, so we just talked about all this, right? So Derek, yes, how did you feel running Rise of the Rune Lords, and you're about to run another? AP, so Correct. you you know what happens. Correct. Right? Well, and not yet. I don't have the other adventures. That's true. Right? You haven't you haven't read the last two books, but you know that you can know what happens. You certainly yes. knew what happened. In Rise of right. Uh, you know, and, and Bob, likewise. You know, uh, I remember you mentioning like, you know, oh, I kind of I gotta figure out what happens, right? Like at one point, and you might even consider it now, right? Like, Derek, yeah. can I borrow an adventure and read the book, like, so I can see what happens? You know, what do we miss out on, right? So there's that, and 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 what you guys just recently talked about, like. You know, you feel like you were in the foxhole with with Burl, right? With with Matt and Tim, right? Nick, like, like how is that feeling different versus what you experienced with the it, Tomb of Bob? It is. So I, I, would, I want I you would, to talk about that, and well, I want you to answer the question. One, I would say it, not. It's not different. Sorry, I, I felt like I was in the foxhole with Burl and and Gwildor and Escanor when I played Rise of the Ruins because I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen next. Because I didn't, I, I I avoided everything I could. If someone was playing Rise of the I avoided it. Like I just didn't want to listen to it. And, and now I kind of want to read the rest of the damn adventures because now we're sort of. Well, we might. We, we don't know what there, we're gonna do. There, there's always a chance. We yeah, go so back. I won't do it yet. But I'm, I was super eager to read Quest of the Frozen Flame, but I held off because I knew we might play it. Yeah. Anyway, when I GM this, or sorry, when I GM Northern Reaches, where I don't know what's gonna happen, I feel like I am. I don't know what's gonna happen next, so I feel like I'm with you guys. I don't know if you guys are gonna succeed or not. I'm with you. But when I do 5e and I did mm-hmm. uh, uh, Storm King's Thunder, I'm like, just going through the motions. I'm like, yeah, keep going, guys. I, I, you might discover something different. You might put a bearer rug on your on your tape, but I know what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen. I, I'm more or less playing a narrative role. But when I play the when I play the other ones in Northern well, Reaches, no, you, know I, what it, you know what it is. What when you play the 5e game, you are the librarian yeah. at the story time. With the kids. I'm reading them an adventure. When you're playing your Northern Reaches game, you're just another player. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why I like it, because I like being a player. That's true. But I, I have the creative aspect of developing the world that they can... They you, can have a, you have a different role. It's fun. But you're a player. So, I like them both. I like both. So you like both. not knowing. So I think there's a couple of things. I think with Rise of the Room... But I didn't know that before you guys told me to do that. <laughs> sure. Like, I only knew player. Yeah, right. I and it. I was like, APs are fun. Right. 
It's different now. I think the di- uh, so, so I think there's a couple of things. Number one, Rise of the Rune Lords is a very long game, and I've said this before, but uh, I don't think I'll ever run another twenty level pre written game. It's again. pretty long. It's very long. Take, that would take about two years. It, 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 it's just too long. <laughs> Number two. Um, we're, we're getting old now, Bob, so we're going to die soon. <laughs> number two, I, um, we have a finite number of campaigns left in our Number lifetime. two, it also depends on the, on the players in the group. Um, I think, Fair. I think that, um, one of the, you know, whether it's a AP or a dungeon, right. That was pre-written and I was running it. And this is true going back to, you know, third edition, sure. Forge of Fury, Heart of Night, Spire. The players always come up with something that the game did not intend for you to do. And I think um, I feel confident as a j- dungeon master or as a game master uh, to be able to roll with those punches, you know, and kind of let the player's agency take the wheel, so to speak. Um, but because the one thing that you get, I will fully admit, out of a pre-written game is, is like Bob was saying, they've, there's, a, there's, usually a, a, there's usually a greater degree of of narrative connections and foreshadowing and more things make sense because, you know, they people thought about it beforehand. They also write some pretty good but lines I also, that I can't pr- produce myself. I don't, I don't have that much of a problem. So Well, you don't, but <laughs> right. I do. So I think it's a lot easier for a DM like me to go way off script with a, 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 an adventure path. But when you go off script with an adventure path, right, you're, you're, you're creating more and more you know, gap between what sure. sort of it's like the, the branch is now five commits ahead of master. Right, exactly. Instead of nine, and then it's nine commits ahead of master. When the game is only t- to level 10, I'm not as worried about it. Right. Because by the time the party's way off course, the game's over. Right. You know, and you're not having to convert. Like if the party was in a very different place in rise of the rune Lords, I'm like, well, I got th- 10 yeah, more levels. Get three back more. on track. Right. Then, well, at that point you're like, I'm not even playing this adventure path Correct, anymore. Right. But with a game and we've like, had like adventure paths that went that way, correct? Mm-hmm. And and I think that's my biggest problem with something like twenty levels adventures. Whereas like if things start to go wonky and the party starts going off way course around level five or six or seven, you're like, there's only three. We only have eight sessions left, seven sessions left. That I can I can improvise. I can work with. I this. can figure that out. I can make that work. Doing that for the next thirty seven sessions. You're like, at that point, what am I even doing with this? So I think that's where I think I feel a lot more comfortable. Even me, with my skill to be able to improvise and come up with stuff, um, I still think that that is really interesting and valuable. And also, too, full disclosure, you know, a lot of these adventure paths have, they're not, you know, when I make a dungeon, full disclosure, I use a lot of stock monsters. Yeah. Because it's easy. I do. Making custom monsters takes time. Even in a game like Pathfinder 2 where they've 100%. got the GMG stuff, okay? I made a lot of custom monsters in Pathfinder 2 for Rise of the Rune Lords because I had to convert them. Right. It's a pain in the ass. Right. These adventure paths do do that for me. Right? Easy. And so they do have the stats laid out for me. It's less work, which is always a plus. Um, I do appreciate that. Especially for the unique monsters. That's, uh, well, right. that's what they, I'm saying. That's or or the NPCs. Or, yeah, that's right, all right, right now for you. It's just, it's done for me. You know, I don't have to do that work. Um, and so that is a Huge, huge advantage, right? As opposed to just playing stock monsters again and again and again, because I typically will just use a stock monster in almost any edition that I'm playing. Yeah. Um, fourth edition was probably the only game where I used to routinely custom build my monsters, but that's just because it was actually fun. Right. Right. For me to build monsters um, in fourth I'm edition. The same way. I typically just use stock. Right. I mean, in in Dark Winter, we've basically used stock. All stock. Yeah. Yeah. So there's nothing wrong with stock. I think now, it's actually pretty fun. So I think. 
when we played Dragon's Delve, which was a 20-level mega dungeon that we played in Pathfinder 1st Edition. Bob, you weren't there for this. But Aaron, I was not. But Aaron and crew were. Tim. Um, that was a big dungeon. Huge levels. Some of them massive. Um, 20, but 20 levels, and they were big. Okay. And there was no story. It was definitely not an adventure path. But there was also, guys, this campaign is about the dungeon. We're not going to be doing any exploration. Mm-hmm. We're not going to be going south to explore the lands of... No. Everyone knows what they're getting into. The game is about the dungeon. I had a character at one point that literally couldn't leave the dungeon. <laughs> he was a magical curse to be bound there I don't or something. Know what happened. I don't remember. He, I feel like you guys' campaigns can get a little off the rails where the shit just... That is 100% true. <laughs> 100%. But this campaign was a little off the rails. But I'm okay with a certain degree of wink, wink, nod. Mm-hmm. If we play something like Quest for the Frozen Flame, it is my expectation... Because this is a part of the problem inherent with Rise of the Rune Lords, too. It's the first adventure path. But if we play something with like Quest for the Frozen Flames, one of the reasons why we are spending so much time uh talking about it and thinking about it and going into session zero about it is because it's like okay you guys this campaign takes place in the realm of the mammoth lords yes and it's going to be about you caring about this frozen flame now they do a great job with this because you're from this tribe right you're from this following right you are tied to this land you are tied to this if you think about rise of the rune lords if you think about knights of last call no one in that group cared or had any reason to care about anything that in was fact, happening. I remember um, I care about standpoint a little bit. RP, that's about it. An RP scene actually, uh, or an FBT scene, if you want to call it that. Uh, where you actually were like, Why are we doing this? I don't want to die. I want to go and open up a bar. Yes. And th- my whole thought was standpoint was super legit and Rusty Dragon, you know, cool. Right. And I just want to go retire there and open my ale forge. Right. That's what I wanted to do. Right. That's what my character would want to do. Right. right. And so, so at that why, point, we, why are so, we pushing so, forward? So in that case, right, because, I mean, you could be a you could be a troll and you could be a dick in any AP. Right. Of course. Like, you know, the, the DM goes, hey, guys, I've got a cool new dungeon that I'm building, and it's a dungeon-based campaign. You're like, cool, I want to be a farmer. That's a sandbox. What are you going to do now, DM? Right. It's like, ha ha, I beat your game. It's like, okay, no, you're obviously being a, a dick. Um, that's not acceptable. But what they did a good job of with here is if you build your characters correctly, by role-playing them, you will be part of this adventure. Right. And the things that they want you to care about, you will care about. Right. Yes. So it is kind of self-correcting in that issue. I think a problem with something like Rise of the Rune Lords was because of the nature of the game, nobody even knows really what a Rune Lord is. And you are basically just on a series of like, I guess we just go here because that's what the thing to do is. It's the next right. threat. But it's but it's but why do we care? We don't have any personal stake in it. And that's Asius had the had that complication. And and arguably you could say, um there is a uh a dissonance, a cognitive dissonance between what my character would and should do and what the adventure is kind of expecting me to do. Yep. Right. And I think that is where I feel a little bit more safe and secure. You think that that disconnection there led to Rise of the Rune Lords being more of a monster looter style kind of game? Oh, it's absolutely a monster looter style of game. Yeah, big time, big time. You know, I mean, Rise of the Rune Lords to me is very much a uh, Diablo 
yeah. the AP, you know? It, it, it has a plot that ser- – the plot serves to serve as a background for why you're fighting all these creatures in a row right. and, and, and getting treasure, right. right? Like, it's just an excuse. Right. It's not particularly, you know, compelling. I right. mean, you know, you could be interested in it. You could be interested in the way the players play it, sure. But, I mean, fundamentally, it's not particularly – you're going from room to room, killing giants. Yeah, you know you're not, you know you're not doing a whole lot that in that respect. Um, so I think that is a lot more interesting. I also think what's interesting too is we've demonstrated on this on our YouTube channel that we uh, we'll tell pe- we'll we'll TPK people, right? You know, and so uh, success wait, is wait, not. You su- think Bob? This, success this is not guaranteed. Next you know? AP that's rumored to be starting. I don't know when this podcast is being released. Um, do, you, do you think the party's got a shot? I mean, I think the party is shot, yes. I think Derek will push. You think push. it's guaranteed? No. I think Derek will push us and... Uh, well, there's no Derek hero points. Right. There's yeah. no stamina. There's no resolve. Yeah, we're playing pretty, pretty this, close this to This is raw. fairly raw. It's fairly pretty raw. close to raw. You know, um, there's a couple of things that probably do... By the way, there's a couple of things that probably do put a little bit of an advantage, but no more than, you know, than, not that much of an advantage, but like the hero point rules. But even the aid rules, by the way, another thing I like about my proposal for the aid rules um, is it makes it a lot easier to run aid with monsters. Um, yeah. Which is very problematic when, yeah. you're, G- when you're GM. Yeah. So I, I think we have the ability to TPK or the ability to uh, screw up. Yeah. But. Um, and also from uh, an audience perspective. Not too bad. Right. From an audience perspective and from a GM perspective and from a player perspective. What I am interested in seeing, okay, is. You guys overcoming the challenges mm-hmm. of the game mechanically, but I'm also interested. One of the reasons I chose this adventure path is I am interested in seeing how the players play and react and role play and um, what's the word I want to say? Uh, add sort of decorative touches to their character to represent this culture and this people. That, I think, is very interesting. How are the characters immersed in this world? How are they different than yes. just your standard run-of-the-mill, I just picked an ancestry out of the book, I just picked an archetype out of the book, I just picked a class out of the book because mm-hmm. it looked cool. I'm not worried. I'm not coming from anything. Right. What is our adventure party? Uh, the four characters we made, right? That is not the case with this. We are being somewhat restrictive. I am giving you guys somewhat restrictive class options, ancestry options, because your characters aren't just Joe Schmo character here to do the adventure yep. yeah, no you, less she inventors right you are you're no less she adventures you are a part of the broken tusk you know following yes you are a member you are a member of this tribe that has this certain type of lifestyle that is going to influence the way that you play your character and as a gm i am also interested just to see how you guys play that yeah you know just as like a you know it's almost like an l5r kind of interest mm-hmm. where i'm like this character has a background and a motivation and a and a belief structure that is very different than your standard run of the mill. I want treasure and loot. Yes, this is one of those examples where I think restrictions add to the game. Absolutely, I Absol- agree. Absolutely. I totally agree. Yeah, I hundred percent agree. Yeah, it's not. It's not like we're restricting it to limit. We're actually restricting it to exploit. Right. right. What, exactly. what we can do to add. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So All anyway. Right. Uh, Dungeon World, I think you yeah. want to talk about. So, talk about. so we're, we're going to talk about Dungeon World, Very but, quickly, but yeah. real quick, we're going to be right back with a quick message from our sponsor, oh. Anchor.fm. Ooh. Well, welcome back to uh, part two of the podcast. Thanks for sticking with us. So we just got done talking a lot about Pathfinder 2nd Edition, mm-hmm. D&D 5th Edition, Bob jamming. But 
let's finish up here with uh, I'm just kind of curious but there's been a lot of talk on our Patreon about Dungeon World which Dungeon is World. funny to me uh, because it's like a 10 year old game but picking up steam it really is and you know it's funny how things uh, happen in the sort of content creator space um, uh, you know people started talking about it in our discord our Patreon people started buying the book people started and then uh, you know other content creators like the rules lawyer uh, he he started playing it. He he did a one shot yep. session on his channel. That's what is funny. old is new? What is old is new? And it, and it's funny to me because I was really big into the indie game scene. Uh, you know, in the sort of the the early twenty tens, um, when Dungeon World first came out and played it. It was like the darling of the the indie game on demand scene at the conventions, and I've played it many 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 times. And recently, the the Patreon has really uh, embraced it. And Bob, you I, had a chance to I play got it. To play it. You got to play it last for week. Quick, for quick. Two-hour session. Lucky. Lucky. So if you're not familiar with Dungeon World, Dungeon World is a uh, a hack of a game called Apocalypse World. And a hack just means it's a you know a variant or a change-up. And a powered by the Apocalypse game is one that uses this sort of Apocalypse World engine. This isn't the case anymore, but you used to be able to tell if something was a of a of a powered by the apocalypse game if it had the world in it, you know, dungeon world, star world, you know, ice world. If something was world, it usually meant that. And the basic mechanic of this game is you have a conversation between the GM and the players. And occasionally the players will say something and the rules very strictly say that this requires you to make a move. And a move means you're going to roll 2d6 and add something. It could be your stat, it could be a bonus. And if you get 10 or higher, you get everything you ever wished for. If you get a six or lower, things don't work out the way you want it to. And the GM gets to sort of uh, make a move and, and do something bad to you. And if you roll a seven, eight, or a nine, which, by the way, is most common, then you end up getting what you wanted, but there's a price or a cost or a complication. And that is essentially the engine. The GM really doesn't roll dice. Right. Um, and everything that the players do is in the framework of rolling 2d6. There aren't DCs. There aren't, you know, uh, tons of bonuses and things like that. Um, for the most part, you're just having a conversation and you're going back and forth in this. And um, I thought, you know, it's been something that it's been talked about. We talk a lot about Pathfinder on this uh, podcast, but I thought we could maybe spend half an hour and we could talk about Dungeon World. I know, Aaron, I know you have embraced the game recently. You've mm-hmm. played it before with me mm-hmm. um, in the past, but never do- dove in. I'm super into it You're now. You're very dove, dived in, dove in. I don't oh, know what yeah. the term is. I, I am quite submerged. You're quite submerged. And then, Bob, you, had, been... you not so much, but then you played it last Friday. You guys have been talking about it on the channel so often, and then they're going to run it, and someone's like, are you free? I'm like, I'm not usually free on Fridays, but they're playing this long five-hour session. I want to take a break. They're like, we're just playing for like an hour. I'm like, I can do an hour of something at my house. Like, it's not a big deal. Read the rules real quick. All right, I'll read them at work. So I understood the concept, B6, mostly narrative, and run it. And it was it was, it was was fun. It, I don't know. I, What'd you like? What'd you didn't like? I like that it wasn't very scripted. It wasn't very static and linear, meaning... Uh, you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this, and those actions are pretty laid out. I didn't know what was going to happen because neither did the GM at that point because he was sort of coming up, well, it depends on what you roll. That's what's going to really happen. That was kind of cool. 
What I didn't like right, is so, so yes, based on what we said in part one, correct. You rolled really crappy. It is a game engine. Yep, that is expressly designed to create the sort of ambiguity yep. and uncertainty hmm? that we were talking about that you enjoyed so much from Tomb of yeah. Bob to right. 1.0. Yeah. So there was a point where I was trying to rescue some uh, people that were in prison, and I was like, I'm, I have a thing that can make an impression on them, basically. Like, hey, rally to my cause. I'm a cleric or some sort. Uh, and I said, all right, rally to my cause. And um, I rolled. And, and, and GM's like, oh, okay. So he took the information in, and he goes, they're really skeptic of you. You know, they don't really know you. You just came in and started starting nonsense. But also, you notice that stuff's happening now outside. Now, what are you going to do about it? Okay, now I got to figure this out now. Okay. Okay, there's more ogres coming. We, we, we thought we were just going to rescue these people and get out. <laughs> yeah. No, there's more ogres to deal with. And they almost messed us up. And the thing was very deadly. Yeah. And making these moves. Now, we ran it. Again, to caveat this, uh, again, with the people of the Patreon, Grant, it's a very session one zero slash one. Mean, session zero point five. <laughs> because even the GM had never ran this before. Okay. Meaning okay. that I know from talking with you and Aaron that when you run this game, you're supposed to just describe all the actions and never say I'm making this. Never name your move. Right. Correct. Yeah. Um, they didn't really do that sure. in session zero that's point, okay. because they were like, "Look, we're all trying to learn how to do this." So. Yep. You just sort of tell me what you're doing, but describe it too if yeah, you yeah. can. And we oh, did that's okay. that way. Yeah, I mean, people as, need to understand what people are doing. But Everyone's I, transitioning from something. Yeah. Correct. So I tried hard to do it the other way. Right. I would describe what I'm doing and do whatever. And it, it was fun. It super flexibility, which meant I could really think outside the box. What would my character do now? That was cool. Mm-hmm. It also meant I had to really think outside the ability and do what I did not know what Take I was doing. Take some extra energy, yeah. Correct. I'm like, I don't have a skill list here. I mean, I have a three sort of actions that I can do. Um, but I didn't really have a thing that I could just count on. I'm going to shake it off, Pathfinder 2. I'm going to melee attack here. I didn't have that. I have a couple of abilities, but the rest is up to me. Right. And I was not ready for that. I mean, I was, but I wasn't. So the con was, it was kind of limited. We only played for a couple hours. But the con was, it was so expansive that anything could happen. But it was also super deadly, so I felt like we were out of control in a little bit. There's no really no structure. Sure. So therefore, there's a little bit of con there where I like, right. it, I like a little bit of structure. It can get to a point where you feel like you're playing Russian roulette. Right. I've heard that com- complaint made. I did not know what was going to happen. And if you rolled bad, we were in bad trouble. Right. But if we rolled good, cakewalk. Right. Thing. So I guess as a pro and a con of it, yeah. I don't really know. Um. So uh, and I'll, I'm going to let. I had Aaron, fun. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to let Aaron go. But um, I want to say one thing though, which is one thing though, which you're kind of describing. Is the thing about Dungeon World is you can roll well, yep, and do what you want to have happen. You can roll okay, and then you get something, and something else happens. Or you can roll badly, and then something happens. There is no roll in Dungeon World that will ever result in nothing happening. There was always something changing the story, like like right. in Pathfinder or DD, you can attempt a skill check or an attack roll. And miss. And nothing the outcome happens. of the miss is nothing happens. You fail to climb the wall. Fair enough. You missed the opponent. You didn't pick the lock. Right? The outcome is nothing happens. That is literally impossible in Dungeon World. Right. Yep. When, when the dice are called upon, whether it's because uh, because honor demand, you know, right. because the rules demand that the dice are. Once you bring out those bad boys, 
something is going to happen. Right. Mm-hmm. The, the dice represent an instrument of change. Right. Yeah. It, it, there is no – when the dice come out, there is no option where the, the current course is going to – we just continue right. on our course. I just thought it that is Dungeon going to be more talking, though. Am I wrong? No. Define talking. So we played. I felt like we rolled the dice a lot. Okay. Yeah, that's probably a common GM mistake. In fact, one of the biggest I roll, mistakes— We rolled the dice almost every time it was going to happen. One of the biggest mistakes that GMs make when they play Dungeon World is they roll the dice too much because they think everything needs to be a move because they're used to playing D&D or so, they're used to playing so Pathfinder. So that's what happened. Right. Um, I mean, we rolled that's the dice. very understandable. And that is very understandable, okay, so. especially when people are coming from a D20 game. Right. Especially um, Pathfinder too. Uh, well, every especially I mean, any D twenty game, every attack, oh, I agree every that. action that we took, everything we did, I mean, everything in fifth edition is a die roll. Sure, that's what this felt like. You know, everything is a die roll. I mean, it's been like that since third edition. Okay, and, and I would say to be clear, I would so go how, back to third edition. So yeah. yeah, it's not supposed to be. And then, and the second question Just, is, how do you break it? Yeah, so define supposed to be. But Aaron, let me. So yeah, you've, oh, sorry. you've recently become enamored. Sure. And let me. Why? <sighs> what is this? What is this tapping into your? Your Aaron psyche. So we talk a lot on this channel and this podcast about you know true role playing games, traditional role playing games. Kind of we have a new term now: action role playing games, right? right? Which we kind of like put Fourth Edition and Pathfinder Two in right into that bucket. Um, I like all these games. Uh, I'm very critical of all these games. I'm critical of everything, but I, I like all these games. I enjoy playing Pathfinder Two, and I like the reason I like playing Pathfinder Two is because of the Tactical combat, right? That's the fulfilling part for me out of the game. Now, that's all uh, of what I did. That would be unsatisfying. And I would be very unsatisfied because I also like games like Legend of the Five Ranks, which is uh, very role-playing oriented. Uh, And I mean like true role-playing, like as in like the mechanics support the role-playing and making the decisions, and that's all baked into the world and the environment around it, right? Now, if that's all what I did, I would be unsatisfied, right? (laughs) So what I like about Dungeon World is it's kind of a little more in the middle for me. I think, uh, what was it, Storm Phoenix had a great phrase for it. You know, it's not crunchy, it's chewy, right? And Storm Phoenix is one of our Patreon members for people at home listening. And I, I like that phrase a lot because I look at Dungeon World, and Dungeon World is a a love letter to the old D&D games, Right. Some people consider that one of the faults of Dungeon World. Correct. Right. In fact, I would argue I like Dungeon World, but one of my faults with it is that it's too much right. of a love letter to the old school D and D games. I'm going to withhold an opinion on that at the okay. moment. Yeah, um, yeah. That's Derek fine. obviously has played this a lot more than I have, but you know what I like about this is it's it's D and D, right? Like you know it's it's dwarves and clerics and fighters and wizards and you're casting sleeps and you know and there's I think a magic missile variant. There is a magic missile, you know, uh, and that's cool, but. You know, it's not, you know, this, uh, you know, Pathfinder 2 for me is still a challenging game because there's so much that I'm learning. We're playing this campaign. It's a very aggressive campaign uh, uh, from the GM standpoint because, you know, every week I'm learning up multiple levels of new monsters, right? Because right. we're advancing very quickly in that game and that's how that game works. And so I feel like a lot of my brain CPU is spent just running the game trying to provide an interesting tactical challenge to you guys and making sure that my monsters are the best that they can be and are played to their fullest, right? Yep. That takes a lot of, of brain power to do that, which leaves me feeling a little lacking for other things in the game. Agreed. Right? Um, and so what I like about a, a, a Dungeon World kind of game, 
what excites me about that system is it's not complete fluff, right? It's not like microscope, right? Which I do enjoy, but it's a different thing. It's this interesting, almost middle ground where, you know, there are rules, there are mechanics. Now, some people make the mistake of saying Dungeon World doesn't have mechanics. No, it actually has extremely well-defined mechanics, and those are hard rules. Right. The it, game tells you it, it, you are cheating even to the GM. Right. If you are ignoring these rules, you're, you're, you're playing the game wrong. You're playing the game wrong. Like, do not fudge the dice, and when a move is triggered, you play that move. And what happens is what happens. Right. One of the, one of the agendas uh, of the game, not principles, one of the agendas is say what honesty demands. Right. Right. And I like that, right? Uh, but at the same time, you know, to the point of freedom, right, you have this flexibility to, like, really take the game wherever. And, uh, you know, another thing that Derek likes to say a lot is, you know, the game should be as complex as you need it to be and not one degree further. And I feel like Dungeon World does that in a way where you can have these complex things, right? Like, like what am I excited about? I'm excited about, you know, wilderness adventure and dungeon delving and building strongholds and all that. But, you know, if that was in Pathfinder 2, that would literally be three different major core rule books, right? Like, and it'd be so right. much. Hundreds of feats and skills right. and actions. And... and it'd just be too much to keep track of. But in this game, that, you know, has several moves. It's going to have some traits. It's going to have some... You know, blocks. They are of, called. Of they are called tags. Tags. Sorry. Again. By the way, if you ever want to know why I call things tags, and, this is why. And it's because of games like Dungeon World. Yeah. Right. So you got all these tags and stuff, and these tags are hard, right? They do things, yes. and they mean things, and you can't ignore them, right? right? And and uh, but at the same time, it's this narrative game where the narrative enforces the mechanics, the mechanics enforces the narrative. Yeah, so let me give you a good example of that. Okay. Um, in the core, in the core rules of the game, to your point, Bob. In the core rules of the game, uh, there is a move called hack and slash. Yep. Now again, you can't actually hack and slash okay you can describe what you're doing and the table the gm you everybody might agree okay what we are doing here is hack and slashing in that case the move triggers and the player is required to roll two six-sided dice add their strength yep and then they can do some damage to the enemy and it's quite possible that the enemy does damage back to them because again monsters and foes and villains don't make moves <laughs> right so it's only when you engage in melee and it basically represents a about it's like a, a round of a boxing match is what a single hack and slash move represents, right? It's a ferocious melee triggered back and forth. So the, the opponent doesn't make any moves? Correct. Right. All right. Fair enough. So Interesting. <laughs> um, so, but to the point about the tags, now there, there's no rules in the game for this, but someone might have a big polearm, okay, and it has a tag on it, like cumbersome or unwieldy, okay? And all it is is a tag that's attached to the weapon, okay? Could say tag could be sharp, right? Tag could be whatever. But there are no there are no rules of text attached to that. And so you're in a you're in a tight cave. Um, you've been fighting this pack of rat men and they've been sort of, you know, on a f falling retreat and you're like, "No, we have to press the attack." So you follow them into their tight twisting caves and more rat men jump out of the shadows at you. And you go, I'm going to pull out my polearm and I'm going to start hacking into them. And you're like, oh, is that trigger hack and slash? I go, no, it doesn't. Why? Well, because it has that cumbersome and unwieldy tra tag, aren't, you aren't hack and slashing. Hack and slashing is when you are engaged in an equal footing in ferocious melee. I'm not even going to – you can do that, but it's not even going to trigger this move. Right. Because narratively, you aren't hack and slashing. You're struggling with this gigantic cumbersome weapon in these very tight corridors. Now, in a lot of games, Pathfinder 2, D&D, &D, 
there would be like a rule right. for that. Like you would need be a penalty or something. You know, like think about yeah. all the traits in Pathfinder 2. Agile, backstabber, deadly, fatal, backswing. Uh, um, what's the other one? The brutal one for range. Brutal. Uh, the other one that's the opposite of backswing. Sweep. Mm. Those all are traits to the weapon, and they all have a rule, and you need to know what that rule is. You could have those traits, and we all know what that means, but it doesn't have a defined rule, but it still matters. And that means it's not fluff, but it's not hard mechanical either. So it's not marshmallow, and it's not a cracker. It's not crunchy. It's not soft. Chewy. It's chewy. Right. And that's an important concept, right? And, and I will make this criticism about Pathfinder 2. Pathfinder 2, as written, technically don't need a game master, especially if you're running like an AP. Right? Dungeon World is a game where there is no game without a game master. It literally cannot function. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. That's interesting because I think what makes these games fun is the human element. Yeah. Pathfinder 2 is a tabletop version of a computer game. Yeah, and this is coming from a guy that likes video games and, and you know, JRPGs. Well, I, I mean, I mean, it is no, it is no surprise to me that the folks who really get into the car building and the car op and the, you know, the really, you know, really, really love those the high level Pathfinder two games mm-hmm. on our Patreon are also the folks who are out there spending a hundred hours playing Elden Ring. Yeah, right. They are the folks who really like. JRPGs and RP, you know, uh, computer role playing games um, and anime too. And uh, <laughs> slight dig there. Yeah, slight dig there. Um, but uh, yeah, no, agreed. Because, you know, they want a system, they want a game that they can beat. And a part of that is generational, I think, right? Like we got really into video games because of D&D. Sure. You know, I think, you know, now some people, of these are people are getting into D&D because of video, video games. games. That, that's closer to me. Yeah. I, I agree with that. That is something to be interesting about it. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's interesting because it is a, it is a game. Because the other thing, too, is, um, you know, when, when a player misses in Dungeon World, that's, that is to say that they roll their total score, 2d6 plus their stat, is 6 or lower. The rules specify the following. The GM, the game master, may make as hard of a move as they would like. What this means is if we were playing a game, um, and I was your game master, and you say, I am going to try to leap this pit. And I go, okay, well, that's dangerous. You are defying the danger yep. with your great strength, your athletic Superman, and you roll a five total. Ooh, fail. Okay, so that's a six minus. So I can make as hard of a move as I like. And I decide you leap across and you grab the other end of the, the cliff side, but as you struggle, you know, panicked, reacting, your sword and shield go tumbling down into the depths below. Okay? That's literally a mechanical move, right? right. Which is called use up their resources. And I've decided that the move is that I make is that you are going to lose your resources. You could play that exact same scenario with a different GM, let's say Benacero. And Ben could say, Okay, six minus. I can make as hard of a move as I like. You leap across the pit. You don't even get close. You fall to your death. Yep. Both of those interpretations, per the rules of the game, are legal, correct, and appropriate. What the game is saying is, I'm not going to tell you what you need to do. 
the GM can set the tone and nature of their game based on what they like and what the table likes and what the fiction demands. If the if this if this is a you know if this is like a critical moment in your game, you might say that yeah, death's on the table. Yeah. But if it's like just some random thing, you might argue, I'm not gonna kill a player here. Right. And the you're not cheating. You're not fudging. Because that's like what the game yeah, is. The game tells you to do that. The game tells you I can make as hard of a move as I like. And I can make a soft move. I can make a hard move. I can make 18 hard moves. Does that make jamming for Dungeon World harder than Pathfinder? <sighs> I would say probably. Yes. Yeah. It yes. seems like it from just yes. describing it. Yes. You, you can jam Pathfinder on autopilot. But not if you are thinking the way you were thinking when you were playing the Tomb of Bob. Right. Yeah. Because you understood it. You had a feel for what was going on here. You knew what was at stake. You knew what the players were doing. And so if the players made a, you know, had a penalty or a mistake and you got to react to that by getting to make a move, you would go, okay, I know what I'm gonna do. And it's gonna feel natural and appropriate. And it's going to create, emergingly, um, a situation or a story that uh, feels appropriate. So so if they were running like, um... An AP for Dungeon World, it might not be as exciting as a. It would be. I would be hard. It would be. I think you'd be hard pressed. Yeah. yeah. But like, how I, would you even run that? I don't even know how you would do that. I think it would be hard. Are there? That's a good question. Are there adventures for Dungeon World? Yes. There. There was something that. Uh, Big but they. But they are not. They are not adventures. Okay. You know. They are, are situations, right? Well, because uh, getting not, there's like dungeon not, starters. Not, I know to get, that. not to get too uh, too into the weeds about it, but a lot of times it is a an area, a situation. Yeah. You know, a plus series of plus. It could be a series of fronts, which is what the game yeah. uses. Um, and more importantly, a lot of times when people do it, they will put in custom moves, right? Because they're, they're dungeon moves or adventure moves, right, they're called, right, right. Um, which are like custom moves. Like, so in Dungeon World, you had your hack and slash, you had your volley, you had your defy danger, mm -hmm. right? You could, in Dungeon World, when you were building the Tomb of Bob, you could have a, when the group well, disturbs the ritual. Yeah, your, your puzzle, right? Yeah. Like, when the group shoves a sword into the little hole. Right. The three skeleton yep. champions awaken. Right. right, that's a move in Dungeon World right. par par parlance, right? Um, and uh, th so th that's the way that when Dungeon World adventures are written, it's kind of done like that to give yeah. the, to give the, the player uh, the GM uh, sort of ideas. Uh -huh. The other thing I found really interesting during Dungeon World is I know you talked about this is there's no initiative order. Correct. It's actually the thing I love the most about it. Correct. But it's the hardest thing to break. I mean, even, yeah, going around the table. even yeah. when we were playing and it wasn't even intentional, like we've yeah. talked to, we've talked about before. There's no, there's no initiative. Okay, good. Then right. you had Bob's turn, Aaron's turn, Derek's turn, yeah. Bob's turn. It, you sort of, sort of feel like he hasn't talked in about 10 minutes. Maybe I should see what well, Aaron wants to do. Actually, Aaron and I had, had a great conversation about this just last night. It's like a conversation. Yeah. And like, just like you've been listening to this podcast, there are times when all three of us are sort of chiming in, going back and forth. It's almost like we're going in circles. But there have also been times where Bob is just talking, and he's got a lot to say, and we're just going to listen. Mm -hmm. And maybe occasionally we chime in, or maybe Bob asks us a question and brings us into the conversation, and then maybe it shifts back to Aaron has a point, and we listen to him. And then it goes back to all three of us kind of going back and forth. That's Dungeon World. There are times when it's clearly, this is your big, this is that person's moment. I think that's one of the hardest things to break, though. You know, they have the spotlight. And it would actually feel awkward for someone else to have the spotlight right. at this stage. You know? Like, the other players are even kind of like, I don't even want it to be my turn. 
This is clearly their turn. They yeah. are doing the awesome thing. And we yeah. and I kind of want to sit back. I want to see what happens to them. I also feel like though a lot of players want to jump in and say what they want to say. Well, but again, and you I, have three people talking. Uh, no, I go and attack. Oh, I, I'm also attacking, and it's like, okay, what's actually happening right now? Right, I agree. And so there, there's this chaos a little bit too. It didn't happen too much in our game. I also think if you're like talking about a fight, I think a little bit of chaos is not a bad thing. I agree. Thing. True. Great. It, I didn't know about the uh, opponents not attacking. I actually think that happened in our game a couple of times. So I'm interested to see how when I talk to one of our patrons about how that actually is supposed to take care. Yeah. Excuse me. But um. Yeah, there was a lot of like the opponent was doing things, and then it was like, I I think again I'm putting words in his mouth. Then at this point, it's like he you're supposed to. What do you want to do, Derek? What do you want to do, Aaron? And it's like, okay, he's coming close to you. So what do you want to do? But instead of this, like, what's happening, Derek? Oh, I jump in, and so I don't I don't know. Is there a, so I mean, the, it's like the players need to take the initiative to say what they want to say and do what they're going to do, versus the GM sort of dictating. And now Aaron Churchurn, what do you do? The yeah. example they give is a really good. One. I don't even call it an analogy. It really is a conversation. Yeah. So imagine a conversation, and, and and sometimes you might have someone like interrupt, like like how many times this podcast? Bob, I got a point. Let me make a point, right? I interrupt everybody, guys. Well, we all do. Well, and just like a conversation, and that's organic. If you interrupt too much, you're an asshole, right? And in Dungeon World, if you interrupt too much, you're an asshole. You're an asshole. And work on it. But sometimes it's good. But sometimes it's fine and yeah. it's appropriate. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and the answer is you, you just kind of got to right. know well, the people you're talking about. The other thing, too, it, it is 100%. Yes. Okay. And it, but it's also, one of, it's also one of those moments where you have to uh, put on that director hat, that in, in editorial hat. For example, like and, – and, and depending on the situation, this could be 100% right. Let's say that there is a, a high lizard priest and they are conduct, you know, throwing spells and then they cackle madly as they rise up a massive uh, wall of flame in front of them and cackle madly. And your dwarf barbarian, you know, say, I go, I go, what do you do? And you go, I am going to leap across the wall of flame and engage the, the lizard priest you know, and I go, okay, you're leaping through the flames, you know, defy danger or whatever. And then I Yeah, could... but you said what you do. Yeah. Do you say that? Yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. That's, that's like the number one rule for the, the GM. That's the number one rule for the GM. And everything with what do you do? And every statement you make. But do you say that to the player or do you yes. say it to the group? It depends on the depends. situation. And that's my point. I feel like I didn't know when I was supposed to sure. have my turn and sure. jump in. I think I in my personal experience, because I am very comfortable with it, I typically ask in certain circumstances, like a fight, what do you do mm-hmm. specifically? Like, what do you, the player, do? What is so you he, are really he, a case pointing at Bob. I am yeah. pointing at Bob. And yeah, I'm you're saying, a director. And I, right, I'm directing. I'm a conductor. I'm saying, you're, it's your turn. Okay? And then I'm going to say, now it's your turn. But there are also times where I will say, all right, like, what do you all do? And that's going to be a situation where maybe timing and things like that mm. work. But because, mm. because what I might do, though, is this is where I go. I go, what do you do? And you go, I am charging that stupid lizard priest and I'm leaping through the wall and I go okay defy danger and you're like yeah 10 I'm like you break through the wall of flame you know your hair is singed but you know gleaming in your eyes your hammer comes up overhead and you and then I might now in certain circumstances I might say this is Bob's moment this cool spotlight scene let's stay with him right let's resolve what's going to happen next but then I might go he's flying through the wall of flame what do you do Aaron it's like a cut 
the GM there in, in that respect is very much like the director. Absolutely. Yeah. And so in the in the scene, you could think of like so it's not initiative order. It is uh, it's, like it's a, a movie. It's the editor. Yeah. This uh, is one of the what, few times. What would happen next? You would be attacking. You would be doing right. something. But, but you would the key be doing is, something. But the key is it's not like you went, he went, he yeah. went. I'm like, all right, you start to see Azius run across this broken stone pavement, and he leaps into the air over the flaming pit with his hammer held over high. And the last thing you see is him like, you know, and he might go, um, you know, I cast a warding spell around him. Or he might say, I'm going to turn my attention to the, the horde of zombies that are closing in on us, you know. But you can also always set the stakes. Right. You could say – all right, Asius is charging through the wall of flames. There's a horde of undead closing in on your position. What do you do? I was going to say, this is one of the few times a role-playing game can actually be like a movie. Very interesting. Think like a, like a battle scene from Lord of the Rings. I mean, that's how we played it, but I feel like it felt very right. linear. In a movie, and it's, not like, it's not like Aragorn gets 20 seconds, Gimli gets 20 <laughs> seconds, Legolas gets 20 seconds, yeah, no, we, Boromir get gets that. 20 seconds, Aragorn gets 20 yeah. seconds, right? Sometimes the, sometimes the camera stays with you for a little while. Yeah. Sometimes it zooms out. Sometimes it zooms back in. Sometimes it's a, a bunch of rick, rapid, quick cuts. It, it all depends on the flow. Yeah, I think it, and it takes a lot also, of the PCs though, because I think a lot of PCs, especially me, want to interrupt. No, no, but I would, I would attack him there. Right. Okay. Well, give give me a second. You know, he's gonna do his turn, and then we'll go with well, you. Right. I, mean, I have no idea. There like, is a reality, yeah. which is, um, you know, you you can't literally do things simultaneously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that is a case, right? Um, and uh, you know, this is something that uh, Dungeon World, being ten years old, you mm-hmm. know, definitely could benefit from. Something like Blades in the Dark, which has an incredible group action rule, right? Um, and I know you haven't played Blades in the Dark, Bob, but um, in Blades in the Dark, there's a really simple rule where it's like you're like, okay, all right, all three of you are attacking? Cool. Group action attack. Everybody roll. We'll take the best out of the three of you, and then we'll apply that, right? Boom. You know? It's a very simple mechanic. And very, fast. And, sounds like. And fast. That's yes. the other key. Um, and... Uh, that's definitely something that, like, there's DNA that has progressed, you know, that it mutated and evolved and, uh, you know, gotten better um, as it, you know, in certain in certain ways um, that I think Dungeon World could benefit from. I think the aid rules in Dungeon World are horrible. Um, bonds and aid and interfere are horrible. Those rules bonds be, were a little. They're w- stupid. They they're should just be, wonky. They should be removed from the game. They're. I think they are 100 percent horrible. I kind of tried to play by them, but I was like, I don't really understand what's going on. Um, I am a big believer that aid actions, aid checks, aid whatever should not be <laughs> should not be checks. Um, and I think that uh, I think they should be quick and it should be punchy. And the, the, you get to the situation where you're spiling out of control. Like they want to make a move, but now you're making a move. But then you roll six minus on your bond check for the aid. Oh, now bad. that creates another problem. It, it's we had, too much. We had that with Scum and Villainy. And we had that with Scum and Villainy. It was bad. And that is exactly what we had with Scum and Villainy. And that was the reason why we struggled with that game so much. Because you get into these... Death spirals. Uh, death spiral. Consequence spirals, really, yeah, is yeah. what they are. And there is... And, 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 it's just, and also, it's like, wait a second. We were getting way off topic here. The issue was him leaping through the wall of fire. And you were trying to help him. Like, why are we making it about you? Right. It was about him. You know? And so that's where... That's where I do have a... Um, uh, somewhat of a problem with the aid and interference rules. Don't like them. Um, that's just my personal thing. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. I thought the Defend was really cool. The defend is amazing. I actually, I mean, it was pretty powerful, in my opinion, is, too. It's also very powerful. Because I, I played this sort of 
champion paladin type sure. thing and i had a big shield and all i cared about was protecting this right. dwarf that was but didn't it me. also feel really cool to actually be able to do that right like um, when you like hold three or hold one and you can like absorb someone's attack and take half damage i mean it was very powerful oh, as you were saying like, yeah. it's very powerful but also i felt also, like you were actually able to protect also remember in dungeon World, you don't get more hit points when you level up hit oh, points where Oh my god, we we were struggling. There was a couple of boss type things that just yeah, would, I missed that. You do not get because your points. armor gives you like a bonus to take off from the damage you would get. Well, it's not a bonus. It's just, oh, sorry, it just takes off from the damage you, that you get. So if you would take four damage, you take off three. But this like boss ogre we're fighting didn't ignored armor. Oh my gosh, and it it felt devastating. So we as a group were like, "Fuck, do we do this thing is doing work to us? Yeah, how are we gonna you know get around why? this? You know why?" Because Dungeon World, it's a tone thing. Dungeon World says, I am the greatest sword master yeah. that ever lived. Guess what? That's a uh, completely untrained, yeah. completely two-ton ogre. Two-ton ogre swinging a tree branch at you. You're just dead. Yeah. Right? It doesn't matter that right. you are an Olympic-level fencer. When that thing crushes you with a tree branch, you get splattered against the wall. It was. And it basically says, engaging that thing in what we would call in the game, hack and slash, is dumb yeah it's suicide because it is five feet taller than you okay and it has a weapon that is bigger than you are tall i think there's an example with an ogre in that book where before you can even close i think it's the dragon but yeah it's well you have to defy danger just to to defy danger just to get to it right exactly so we were able to fight this thing (laughs) but it like knocked one of my dwarf friends back and this is the one that like he owed me a life debt or something so i was like and so they go all right bob what do you do? And I was like, I go and defend my buddy. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I go put the shield in front of him. I am protecting him. He seems he's hurt. Yeah, that seems something else. Uh, like, so that's what I do. And they're it's like, a good oh, use let's, of a let's look up defend and what it does. And th- but I thought actually what the gym did a good job was is he goes, I don't know if the ogre is going to continue assaulting him. The ogre might then turn towards the guy that the other one was engaged with because he knocked the dwarf back. With his attack. So I was like, I run over to the dwarf to protect him. He goes, he might not even attack him. So he rolled, actually rolled dice. I don't even know what was part of the rules. It's not. He was like, I just roll, I'm going to roll. Okay, he doesn't actually attack him. He actually yeah. attacks the I other mean, guy. He, so I, mean, I mean, if he wants to leave cool. something to chance, I can't fault the GM for wanting yeah. to. Actually, that was pretty cool because I, I, you they didn't know, know what would But Blades in the Dark would call that a fortune roll, and you were disclaiming decision making. I don't I don't fault anybody for doing that. You know, the GM wants to have some dice. It's fine. Um, but again, it, it is it is a different experience. Now, it, is, it was much different than I'm, I'm used to. Correct. And it's, it's also one of those situations where if you've played D20-based games, 5th edition, 3rd edition, Pathfinder 1, Pathfinder 2, you you have these biases. You have these tendencies that, in a way, you almost have to unlearn what yeah, you have learned. Absolutely, right? because it's it's very it's very hard. Um, and so the best example we were talking about this last night at dinner. I see this happen all the time. Okay, um, the game has uh, five uh, six moves, one for each of the six ability scores. Okay. There's a strength-based move, which is called hack and slash. Yep. It says, when you are engaged in a ferocious melee combat, roll plus strength. And you might do some damage. You might take some damage. The dexterity-based one is called volley. It says, when you attack with a ranged weapon, roll plus dex, and maybe you do some damage. Maybe you run out of ammunition. Constitution is defend. When you would stand in defense of a person or a place or an object, roll plus constitution, and you can like take the hit for them and defend yourself. Intelligence is spout lore, 
which is when you would basically know something. It's kind of like the recall knowledge equivalent. And then uh, uh, wisdom is discern realities, which is basically your perception, investigate, check. And lastly, charisma is parlay, which is when you would – when you have leverage or, or have something that somebody wants and you want to make a deal with them, roll plus charisma. Those are the six – core basic moves. And then there's an overriding move called defy danger, which says when you would act despite an imminent threat, roll plus strength, plus dex, plus con, plus int, plus wisdom, plus charisma, depending on what you're doing, to avoid that imminent threat. That's it. Seven moves. You can play Dungeon World with just those seven. Yep. The problem is people look at this game and they get to a situation where they go, okay, the fighter class has a move called Ben Bar's Lift Gates. And it says on the fighter's move, it says, when you try to deal with something with brute force, roll plus strength. This is the Ben Bar's Lift Gates move. And it's like, if you roll a 10 plus, it's like, you do it, you do it quickly, you do it quietly, you know, you just smash through, you just pop the bars off of the prison mm-hmm, gate. Mm-hmm. If you roll like a seven, eight, or nine, you do it, but it was loud or caused a lot of collateral damage, right? Or but forever. you still did it. Yeah. And if you roll six minus. Nobody else in the game gets that move. So someone is trapped in a prison, and they're not a fighter. They're a paladin or a cleric. And they say, I want to bend the bars and get out. And the GM goes and says, well, they don't have the bend bars, lift gates move. That's only the fighter. No one else can even take it. Well, what do I have? Well, they're using their strength. It's not hack and slash. So I guess it's defy danger, strength. Right? Because there's no mm. other move that applies. Okay? Seems odd, though. What danger are you defying? Exactly. None. Right. And so the actual answer is, it just doesn't work. You just say it doesn't work? Yeah. Mm. yeah or yeah. or what happens is, they look to you and ask, and you are allowed to make a soft move. You could tell them something. You could say, you could t- tell them the consequences and ask. And you could say, you think you could get this, you might be able to get these bars open. But it's going to take you a long time, and your character is going to be weakened which is a condition. But a move doesn't trigger because there's no move to trigger. There's nothing that can do. A common mistake that everyone does is they're used to playing D20-based games. Mm-hmm. And it goes, oh, okay, well, you're, trying to, you're trying to lift the gate. You're trying to break through the door. Yeah, roll the dice. Roll plus strength. Yep. Oh, you're trying to leap over the pit. Roll plus strength. Oh, you're trying to pick the lock. Roll plus dex. Well, the thief, the rogue, has an ability called tricks of the trade. And it says when you would pick a lock or disable a trap, roll plus dex. They have a move for that. No one else does. So no one else really can do it. No one else can really do it. And it certainly isn't. Hmm. So picking a lock isn't dangerous. Like There's no trap on the door. There's, no, there's nothing to defy. So a lot of people roll these defy danger rolls, and they're completely inappropriate. Right. Because there's no danger that you are defying. It has to be an eminent threat, and it, you are acting despite it. There's nothing to act in eminent despite. And so the fact I feel like that, a lot of people would say that's like a, uh, they would say a, it's a, a, a strength a, type action. And so, so we roll plus strength. strength. And that is, that's the D20 yep. mentality. That's 100% right, I think. Fuck, he's screwing yeah. with you. So, so that's what you should not do. I agree. But, it, yeah, it is what you should not do. And instead, the GM will tell you the consequences and then ask, what do you do? Or they could, by the way, one of the moves the GM could say is show a character the downsides of their class. That could be, you just don't, you can't do it. Hmm. That's not an option for you. You try and try and try, but they try. don't budge. You know, I mean, case in point, you can give me the next two days. Derek, I'm not picking a lock. Mm-hmm. Derek's not picking a lock. I, it's just not happening. Fine. Yeah. I just don't know how to do that. Right? 
It's just not going to happen, right? Plain and simple. Yeah. No, I get. I mean, it makes <laughs> it makes logical sense. Right. Of course it does. <laughs> because yeah. we're not used to that. PF2, but we're not anyone could do anything. anything. You got it. That's exactly right. I can heal. I can pick locks as long as I got the little. I ah, remember tools. Mark on uh, Roll for Combat when you asked him about picking locks, and he gave the example of of the beggar who could eventually, with enough time, pick the master lock, and right. that's why they added the the critical failure condition. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because he's like, well, eventually he'll get a twenty, right? But that's not even a thing. Yeah, right. Just, you can't do it. You just can't do it. You can't do it. Can't Which I like better. I. It depends on the game. There are some people who don't like that because they like the framework of I roll a d20, I get a number, it works, right? It's this sort of artificial reality. Telling someone you can't do something, like there are just countless things, right? Like I have never studied uh, welding. Mm -hmm. If I went to go weld something, I'm just going to fail. I don't know how to weld. Mm -hmm. End of story. If I take five hours trying to play a piano, I will still suck. <laughs> Correct. Right? Make a performance check. Yeah, right. Make a performance check. Right. Oh, net 20. Uh, you, you you convince them with the, your beautiful rendition your, your of Chopin. random keys <laughs> and it makes not, sense. It's just it not gonna, happen. It's just not going to happen. Right? It's just not going to happen. Interesting. Um, and in Dungeon World, that is reflected by the fact that the GM says so that's not a move. I guess going back. Because another thing that people will complain about is Dungeon World doesn't have DCs. No. Right? And so they say, well, that's. The DCs are sort of inherited to the dice They're roll. Like, no. They're, no. They're inherited to the narrative. They're inherited to the narrative. What do you mean? So, so for example, parlay basically says roll 2d6 plus charisma yeah and the person if you get a 10 or higher they do what you want yeah this is what I'm saying it's, it's in the it's in the dice roll it's it, 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 in the the rules of the game yes it says if, 10 plus 10 seven plus through nine well yeah under six but 10 plus it says they do what you want yeah so people go oh so i go to the king and i tell him make me the king i roll parlay i've got a 10 yeah what was the what was the mistake there uh they should never request it they can request it. It's not going to trigger the parlay move. Because in order to make the parlay move, you have to have appropriate leverage. Oh. Right? So, so for example, if I said, hey, King, I have your daughter, your heir, your wife, your whole family. They are going to be executed. Make me King. Now I have leverage. Right. Mm. That's a valid check. That's a now, now that so triggers that, the move. That's the DC you're talking about. That's the DC. The DC is the fictional DC. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? Is this something? Case in point, the game itself tells you this. If there is a forty foot, you know, fifty foot long dragon with scales that are one inch thick, and you go, I go up to it with my, you know, rapier and I start stabbing at it. Roll strength for uh, how many hit points does the dragon have? Fifteen. Uh, I'm gonna roll, dude. I'm a fighter. I do d10 damage. Plus, I'll, I'll, I might be able to one shot this thing. And you're like, uh, so I go in there and I start stabbing at him. Roll hack and slash, right? And the DM goes, No, that's not hack and slash. It's not an hack and slash is not an attack roll. Hack and slash is you and an, an, an opponent are engaged in equivalent combat. You stabbing at a dragon with a sword is not equivalent combat. That is like a mosquito right. stabbing at a human. So the GM makes that call? Absolutely. Yeah, this is why yeah. you need a GM. This it, is why you, as Aaron said, you cannot play Dungeon World without a GM. You could play Pathfinder 2. Like, we could all be sitting around, and I could have a monster, and it's not my monster. It's just the monster. And we all kind of agree, like, yeah, he'd probably move and kill the sorcerer, yeah. and you could attack him, and it's totally fine. You can play it that way. I mean, right. it might be a little boring, a little, you know, not as interesting, but you could theoretically mm -hmm, play it. Mm -hmm. You know, you could you could run a game against yourself 
you know, to like see how the combat works. Right. Uh, Rules Lawyer does this on yep. his channel, right? Yep. Where he'll set up a mock combat and he'll be controlling the monsters and the PCs. You literally can't do that in Dungeon World. It doesn't function, right? Because again, the same thing. Maybe you're maybe you're a badass character. You're level three. And I'm like, okay, a group of goblins swarm out of the darkness and surround your paladin. You go, I start whipping my sword around and decay, you know, taking goblins left and right. And you're like, roll hack and slash? I go, no. That's not hack and slash. You mow these things down like right. wheat. Just roll your damage. You don't even have to roll. Because you're really, so much more You're just pop, so yeah. much better than them. You are literally just hacking them apart. That is interesting. On the flip side, you could be a 10th level character, right? And Derek goes, ah, the elven assassin gets to drop on you and puts a knife to your throat and says, you know, surrender or die. And you go, well, I'm a badass 10th level character. I push it away and draw my sword. Derek could just go, all right, well, golden opportunity. You're ignoring... This right. danger, uh, the Elven Assassin slits your throat. You're dead, Bob. Right. Do, 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 do you need to roll damage? Do you need to roll hack and slash? No. That's not hack and slash. You're dead. Hack and slash is we're engaged in combat and melee. If a guy has a knife to your throat, that's not hack and slash. That's not a boxing match, right? That's, and that's hard to break from. That's an execution. Right. You yeah. just got executed. And for, there's always been this classic thing, which has been really funny, like high-level D&D characters, right? If they tried to get Ned Starked. <laughs> What would that be like? Would they have to like hit them five, six, seven, eight times with an axe? Hell, a Pathfinder 2 character, unconscious, still has an AC oh, of like 27. So if if Ilan Payne, the executioner for the king, is only like level two, he might miss you right. over and over and over Ned and over Stark again. Ned Stark is laying dead on the ground, oh, dying on the ground, dying three, right? <laughs> He's like level 10. No, I'm saying he can't even hit him. No, no, I'm saying like like Ned Stark's unconscious. Oh, why is he unconscious? He's not unconscious. He's asleep. No, but even if he was, oh yeah, sure, it wouldn't matter. Right, right. Like like, like I'm saying. No, I'm saying he's 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 restrained. Sure. So that makes him flat-footed. Right. That's it. Yeah. So he's restrained. <laughs> and then he does hit. Hell, if he's high enough level, and you go, you go he crits, but it doesn't hit. Well, so no. it's, it's just a hit. Yeah, but even if you hit, you're like okay, you're, and you're Ned Stark. You're tight. Asius is being executed. How many hit points did Asius end the game with? 117 100... or something like that. No, no, full. Oh. <sighs> There's no way you have your character sheet here character up to level sheet? 10. What? No, but I have it to level 9. Oh, okay. And this was 154, so probably 180 or something. 180. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You get, all right, you're like, you're like, you're sitting there. Asius is chapped, tied down. You're going to be executed for sleeping with the king's wife or something, right? Sounds Checks like the easiest thing to right? do. And I go, okay. I'm like, yep. They bring down the axe. And you're like, cool. How much damage do they do? I'm like, uh, D12 plus four. You know, it's an axe. And you're like, all right. I'm like, it's 11. You're slices like, my neck a little bit. You're like, okay. I guess I felt that. Yeah. I right, stand up. You're going to have to do that uh, tw like at yeah. least 15 more times. I used escape action. <laughs> yeah. I uh, break free instantaneously. Yeah. Right. Break so I love that 20. <laughs> right. Not even. The DC is really low. What is that? What are we representing there? I guess... How is that? A does Asius have, like, could Asius take fourteen executioner axes to the neck? Realistically, no. No, like he's not armor up like that. Th that's exactly right. Right. Um, so Dungeon World is reflective of that by being like that part is cool. That's not realistic. Like in D and D, Pathfinder Two, Dungeons Dragons, none of these games have rules for that. Right. Yeah. Right. Where, for example, Asius comes around a corner and. Eight men with crossbows loaded, point them at his heart. Are you surrendering? No. No. Because they're going to probably all, even if they all hit you. Yeah, you're, you're not dead. Gonna, you're not dead. You're not even probably hurt. 
right? You're like, this is not an issue. And you're like, but it doesn't, and that's, it's called, that's just crazy hitness, right? Yeah. Right. We're not talking about fair, even footing where you're able to like die. I mean, I'm talking about like they get the drop on, you know, like red wedding. Yeah. Right. They're going to hit. Right. They're going to hit. Because in the game, we would say, oh, don't they have to roll? Vo-? No, they don't have to roll volley. They just hit you. They, they've got you lined up. The gun is pointed at your chest. They're not rolling to hit. Right. And I'm not rolling for damage. It's, you it's just got shot in the heart you're and you're dead. It's like hard for me to wrap my head around it. Yeah. It's it, well, like, well, no, it's the hard. The DM's nice to get your last breath. It's hard for a lot of people. Yeah. I think you always get your last breath. Um, it's hard for a lot of people. And that's why they play it wrong. And again, I've had the opportunity to play it. And I, I see people have fun with it, even if they're quote unquote playing it wrong. But they end up a lot of times just basically replacing the D20 right. with a, just 2D6. Right. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> and, and I almost wonder if you should run a couple of the GMs <laughs> because, through a game. Because, because, because they're, that's the way they're programmed to think. But that is not the way that – and the reason why Dungeon World – a lot of people go, I don't like Dungeon World. It doesn't have DCs. It doesn't need them. It doesn't need them. Because the DM, the GM, I should say, is reflecting the reality of the situation by whether or not a move triggers or not. And by whether or not, for example, if you went in, you said, you know what, I've, I've had enough of this. I'm going to go engage. Um, I'm trying to think of, you know, something incredible, uh, you know. I'm gonna. I'm. I'm only level five or six, and I'm gonna go engage the Rune Lord in solo combat, right? And you roll a six minus on your thing. I might go. He just smashes you with you know the greatest of ease. You know he just ends your life. Dang. Right. On the other hand, you go. I'm gonna go, and I'm gonna go, and I'm gonna go slap the. I'm gonna go slap this this local thug punk bully right. around, and you roll a six minus. I'm gonna be like, yeah, nothing happens, right? Like. He's not going to kill you instantaneously. He's just some punk guy on the street. Well, well, we can't say nothing happens. No, no. What I'm saying is, uh, yeah, for example, it could be give the, I make a soft move. Um, he smacks you and now he's afraid <laughs> because <laughs> you didn't even flinch. You know, um, there's a great scene in the movie Tombstone, right. right, where a guy comes up to them with a shotgun. Yeah, yeah well, that's it. Right. And I think it's on our movie night list. Yeah, so exactly. Be careful spoiling too it's much. It's not really a spoiler alert. But I've not seen it. But they ignore him and then um he gets so intimidated he Only with a shotgun. He leaves and then he's like, but l- drop the shotgun, you know, and he and he drops it and he goes, Thank you. <laughs> he had a gun <laughs> he had a gun pointed at them and was just like and they were like, You can go now. And he's like, Thank you. Even though he had a gun pointed at them. He's like thankful that they let him go. Even though he was the one with the right. gun pointed at them, because he's just such not a threat to them, like you know, emotionally. They were high level. They were strong. They were very oh strong. They were gosh. very high level. So in Dungeon World, you represent that all through the fiction and through the fictional positioning. You know, that's that's where the game and it's, it's why it, it's just so hard for my head to like wrap around it right well, now. You know, it's like, like a movie. You know, I know, but like this idea. I would normally that, never give that advice. Yeah, <laughs> it's like I have control, but there's no control. Well, what it means is, is if your character can in the fiction position themselves to be in a winning state, then you will win, mm-hmm. right? So for example, using our previous example from earlier in the podcast, if before you went into the temple to recover the great ruby of Satesh, which is guarded by the spirits of elemental fire, aka fire elementals, the group went and did this ritual to make them immune to fire. They went full Targaryen and they are now immune to fire. When the party goes in there to engage with the fire elementals, I'm not, that's not hack and slash. 
their flames barely warm your yeah, flesh. I mean, they, and you just romp through them. <laughs> so it's almost like cutting the wasted time. Well, right. Yeah. Well, well it, it follows a very old principle of, of D and D, which is if you have to roll a die, you screwed something up. Right. You know. Yeah, but you also don't want it to be just all talk. But well, it, you're always going to roll a die. Well, yeah. We Even roll, in D&D, you still have to roll a die. We yeah. roll the dice, and we're not sure what happens. And right. here's the other thing. I feel like we roll dice a lot And here's session. the other thing. In, and in Dungeon World, they tell you, you have to roll the dice yeah, if right. a move is triggered. triggered. Yeah. But if a move doesn't trigger, then we're not rolling dice. So I would now, argue— I feel like we, we did a lot of moves, though. Like, we, we, we are yeah. fighting our way out of an ogre encampment, yeah. basically. And to be clear— if you're in a situation where you are rolling a lot of dice, it means that shit has hit the fan. Yep. And so it sounded like. And there's a good chance as you roll more and more dice that you're going to come up with more and more six minuses. Yeah. Which can create more and more problems. They right? also and give then you XP in Dungeon World, which is interesting. Give, yeah. yeah. Right. Because it's. Why is why does that the case? Uh, so you, you fail forward. You fail forward. That's yep. exactly right. Right. It was kind of cool, though, because we had a situation where. The entrance was sort of blocked by just so many like, ogres. Like you just got you just got screwed over. Yep. But hey, I got an experience point, so right. I don't feel so bad. And I, I I would either <laughs> succeed with no consequences, right, or I would fail. Like I had nothing in the middle. <laughs> I was all over the freaking map. But anyway, that was really cool. There was a situation where the ogres are battling in the middle of this thing against other ogres, and we really couldn't get the front. We we just finally rescued these people, and we're like, what do we do? And we had the three of us, and we had this idea that we're going to scale the wall of the fort off to the side. Of the main entrance. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to use our rope because you have these camp action type things where you can. Adventure pack. Adventure pack. But it's not like you have a set adventure pack. You have pack. five uses of your adventure pack. pack. Right. Yep. So we're like, oh, we each have one of these. So we're just going to use rope. Yep. We're going to tie it to the top of this wood staked fort. Yep. And then we're going to tie it to our buddy who's going to transform into a bear because he was a druid. And he had this transform into an animal thing. And he's going to try to pull the wall down. And we're going to try to get these people <laughs> out this way. You, you're not doing that in any other game. <laughs> you know, we were like, what the fuck are we even talking about That's here? So awesome. It was kind of cool. Absolutely. And so he was basically like trying to do this. And, and it actually was kind of cool because he's like, all right, you do this. Um, but he didn't roll high enough. Yep. He did it and it took a little too long. Right. And now the ogres sort of see us doing this. We made too much noise. And now... We don't know if we can get all the survivors right. out. And that and that's a great example of where yeah. Dungeon World could be successful. Because what happens is, we yeah. all agree. Because I said this before. This is the problem with D&D. This is the biggest problem with D&D. We're going to use our ropes. We're going to tie them on. You're going to turn into a bear. And you are going to rip this freaking wall down. Everyone loves the Everyone idea. at the table, including the GM, is like buzzing. Yep. They're like, this is awesome. We were all pumped. Everyone's Someone pumped. Rolls and then the person rolls and they roll low. Yep. And there's like this... Womp, 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 womp. Oh, I guess he trips. And you're like, I guess he trips. Oh, no. That's a banana peel. Well, <laughs> his teeth, he's got some cavities. They break free from his mouth. And he's all. It's so lame. It's so lame. Yep. Everyone at the table is lame. But, 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 we can all agree it loses some of the fun and some of the excitement if the GM is always just like, yeah, that some, works. it loses a ton. Well, no, no. No, that, no, that's lame. Yeah, yeah. the GM Stop. goes, "That's an amazing okay. idea." It automatically, but succeeds. it's also yeah. kind of lame when the GM goes, "Yeah, okay, that just works." Oh, correct, correct, yeah. So in Dungeon World, you get the best of both worlds, correct? Because the, you roll. Because here's the thing: even if you roll a six minus, doesn't mean you fail. Doesn't mean you fail. The GM could say, "Yeah, you bring the wall down, but you pull so hard it like crushes you and you take some damage." But the wall came down because we all agree right. that is awesome. I can't remember what he rolled, but the wall came down, and then certainly the, if oh, you roll the seven, eight, or nine. It's, yep, you pulled the wall down, but... I can't remember which one he did. But either way, 
the ogres turned and they saw us. Yep, and that would be very appropriate for a seven, eight, yep. nine. And and we were all of a sudden debating right. how many people we could get out. Right. And remember, our whole thing was we could we were stuck in this in ogre yep. and It's like, how do we get out? Oh, we yep. found people. We want to get them out too. Right. So our whole mission at that point was like, how do we save people? And now we're now debating. Can we save enough people? This right. actually was a it was a tough decision. How well, many people can we save? Yeah. yeah, and you know, sounds like that's good. You know how I feel about it. I yeah, said, I, I've said this on the on the Discord before. I said I play role playing games as a GM to put players into difficult spots, yep. and then ask them, "What do you, what do, you do? do?" That's what he did. He said, "Bob, you're a very devote paladin person. All right, these people you dedicated to save, right, are now being attacked by the ogres. You couldn't get them all out. What do you do?" That's 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 a plus a plus and so this <laughs> is who, this, who ran this kenny big bucket oh big bucket a he's, plus he's a good he's a good gm but a, give him another hero point yeah, yeah. A, so a he's plus. running this that sounds and great. that sounds great i said i i think i forgot what i said i said i think this is what happens uh my character his name is atlas he of course he starts to go forward because he can't let these people go sure but the guy that i saved with my bond grabs a hold of me it's too late <laughs> you can't save them all we have to escape now. He pulls me away. So he's sort of like, no. And everyone was like, yes. Like, <laughs> that was a great ending. See, we, right. we, we were at the two-hour limit. We were like, we have to wrap sure, this up. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. And so it was like, we rolled the dice. The right. dice said we couldn't save everybody. Right. But did Bob go back in or not? Right. Yep. How did this happen? You, you know, know, what what would what would his character so, do? A, a very Legend of the Five yes. Rings. Just that. Yeah, it was very Legend yeah. of the Five so Rings. His, you know, his yeah. character was like, I don't think he should. And yeah. I'm like, I, my guy kind of wants to, but like he probably can't or right. shouldn't. Yeah. And so this played out this way. But there was that question by Big Bucket Kenny, who was like, yeah, but are you okay with that? Right. That's a great, that's a great question to ask. You know, because that's what makes it. By the way, that moment. But that doesn't happen in the PF two. That's a the, role playing game. That, 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 that happened that, in Dungeon. That's World. a role playing. Actually, game. role playing. That's an actual role play. True role. You can take a move against the player, right? Like nothing stops you from if you have leverage, they're already dead, and I make they're a already dead. The people you want to save yeah. are already dead. That's my leverage. I'm going to make a parlay against Bob to convince him not to go in. Oh, oh, yeah, oh yeah. you mean can a player make another move right. against a player? No. Okay. Dungeon World does not handle inter-party conflict well at all. Okay. So that's a con of it. It is a con. It's a common con. So we sort of just... we sort of <laughs> It's en- a common con. <laughs> we sort of enacted that narratively. Yes. Yes. Which is fine. Yeah. It, well, yeah. But but mechanically, no, you can't because it... it who's, I, I almost got excited. Who, who's, <laughs> who's rolling dice there, right? Exactly. Well, that's right. Right. Like, exactly. Yeah, we, 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 by the way, we solved is, it narratively. Okay. And this is a Dungeon World con. This is why later games created the string the okay. string the string okay. uh, we're getting into player we're getting yeah. to pvta tech here but okay um, Mon- uh, monster hearts and other games have gone forward after it oh, introduced the string, the concept attached, of the, uh, the string. you could take it the uh, the consequence or a penalty you got it right yeah. so uh, the way that strings work is they are like here they're tokens but they aren't they're they're so you would have a, a pile in front of you that would say that's much better than bonds. uh bob bob's they would say bob's string or they would say, string on Bob. And you have a pile of them in front of you, right? Just like the GM has a pile of hero points. You would have a pile in front of you that says, strings on Bob. And Aaron would have a pile in front of him that says, strings on Aaron. And I would have a pile in front of me that says, strings on Derek. And as the game plays, there are moments in the game where I may be forced to or I may want to, in order to gain a benefit, give you one of my strings. You now have sort of leverage over me, Okay. You can it's like an IOU. 
It's like an IOU, but okay. it's like a. But you think about in in you know when you you know uh, think about it in the verbal the, IOU. The, the, the the what's the word I'm looking for? Think about it in like strings attached. You know, no strings attached. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what a string means. It's like meaning like I have like it's like a puppet. Yep. I have a I have a little bit on you. Yep. Right. And so what might have happened is in a bond sense, it's a favor. Or something. It's a, it, yeah. well, but it's a favor. It's a I have influence over yep. you. I have yep. all of this other stuff. And in the game or something, if that person you had a bond with, they have, they have they you have given them. String on Bob. And at that moment, they can go, I give Bob, I'm cashing that in. Yeah, I'm giving you your back. I'm, I'm giving it back to you. And in exchange for that, you have to do something. Yep. And it I, is like a favor basically, at that point. Well, what it lets you do is it lets another player take temporary control over your character. Come to me on my daughter's birthday. That, right. So um, it's his we- daughter's wedding. Wedding day. Dang it. I watch movies once, and then I try to remember them all. These guys all watch movies like a hundred times. You asked times. me to do murder for money. Um, <laughs> Scott um, And so what? Uh, by giving someone a string, you are essentially saying, I'm going to let you kind of decide how my character acts at a certain moment. The, that's a, that's interesting. It's like almost right. – to, it has total control. And so – That's that's rough. Like <laughs> – um, and, and, and that – and it becomes this fun meta game between players – about accumulating and gaining strings on people. What's also interesting is then whatever action happens from that string, you have to role play that, right? Because correct, yes. you you are bound to that. Yeah, that happened. It's in the narrative now. Correct, it, correct, hundred percent. Right, that you must say you really have to, interesting. Right, what, to do it, to do it, and you have to say what honesty demands. And so we have a. You said Monster Hearts has this. Th- th- it was introduced by Mon- in Monster okay. Hearts, but other PPTA games have pretty much adopted it yeah. fairly universally. I think I think Masks use it. Um, I know uh, uh, Thirsty Sword Lesbians uses it. I know there's another game that uses it. Any game in which interpersonal relationships, conflicts are common, right? You don't theoretically need those rules in Dungeon World because Dungeon World is not – how often do you have inter-party conflicts I, in d and I feel like it would add to it, though, and I think well, that if you system want, would be better than Bonds. Well, the Bond system is trash, and it's horrible anyway. So there's I don't that. even know if it came up ever. Right. Um, and then the cool thing is for you is by accepting the string and agreeing to play along, you get experience. Oh, okay. They get right. level up. Right, and level up. So get but, stronger. So in other words, a player, a player who gives out strings to people and then gets them back and agrees to play along with it is going to level up faster than someone who doesn't. But it's risky. Well, no, it just means that you Depends. are you're engaging yeah, with the it's... game. So if you had a player who goes, I don't like I don't want I don't want anyone to ever tell me what to do and I'm never going to give strings to anybody. Then, then guess what? You ain't going nowhere. You're not going to level up very fast. You can play like that. But the game, what, right? What gets rewarded gets repeated. Mm-hmm. So if I'm rewarding you for doing this, that game is telling you Give strings to people, and then when they give them back, do it. Yeah. Because you're going to level up, and you're going to get more powers, and you're going to get new feats, and you're going to get new abilities. Okay? These are all really cool. So. That's very interesting. Maybe, and, maybe Monster Hunter will be one of the way, games we play. And by the way, <laughs> what I'm trying to say about that game, is that game better? No, but what that game does automatically is it creates, it's a canvas that is ripe for painting a a a, a a certain type of narrative or story. Well, I think it, it, it does they, what you said. Like it's a, something different than the one you were trying. I put PF two for this reason. Like L five R for this reason. Correct. 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 This is fitting something that. Right. There's correct. no. There's no. Oh, cool! I can stride sixty feet. His speed is only fifty. He'll have to spend two actions, and then if we flank him and I aid him yeah. and I do this, we can combo together, and then we. Get, there's none of that. None of that. I will. There's, I will say we 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 did like three or four battles in two hours. Right. There's no tactics. Yep. Right in the combats, you know, there's no like. Did you find yourself missing the tactical no, mini? No, 
I did I not. Mean, I think I'm there not, was a lot of action. And I will promise you, if you did I, that, I, felt I, I will promise you, if you did that and you did that week after week after week, you, you would eventually. miss the tactical minis. Yeah. I promise Probably. you. Probably. I promise you, you would. I know this for a fact. Sure. Okay. Right? Like when I so go, it was a fun break. Like, on. I have a lot of fun times when I go to Gen Con, but after I play like four days straight of indie games, usually, I come home and I'm like, I just want. <laughs> Deed? I just want Give me some flanking. Uh, Twelve giants yeah, and a dragon. Twelve giants and a dragon. I want to flank something. Give me a fireball. <laughs> right. I want a fireball. I want to roll d6. I want every single one of them to make a reflex save. I want this thing to take twenty five minutes to resolve. I, like I want. I want that. We I got through an ogre encampment in like yeah. under two hours, and it was it was awesome. But you're right. I don't I don't know how often I could right. do that. I mean, to be case in point, not only did you tell sort of a complete story in two hours, you even had this sort of kind of character arc yeah. moment of this paladin comes in, he makes a pledge, and then realizes he can't. With hold up to his duty and has to let some go, and he has to, you know, uh, um, um, sacrifice some to save the rest. Yep. Can you can you give a GM a string? You can give an NPC a string in yeah, Monster Hearts. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Cool. Yep. In fact, as a GM, you you and the player can you can really screw over NPCs with strings in Monster Hearts. If they give you a string? No, like if you get a string on an NPC. Yeah. Right. So let's yeah. say like let's say um you know you're playing Monster Hearts and like the head cheerleader Bridget. Uh, is an NPC, right? And she's ca- you know causing you all sorts of trouble, and she's always bullying you and picking on you because you're the weird lo- lo- loser loner in class, right? And you're a PC. This is hitting home. Close okay. To home. Um, <laughs> if you get a string, but let's say this: like you learn that um, you know you learn that Bridget's boyfriend's been cheating on her, right? And you gain a string on Bridget, right? When if when a PC uses a string in Monster Hearts on an NPC, like you you get like. In, in PBTA terms, like I think you get like a plus five to your check to like manipulate them. So you can like parlay them with a string. Right. You know what I mean? It's, it's like hard leverage. It's like hard leverage. Yeah. With a bonus. Wow. Yeah. And because they're not tracking experience. So you need to make it. It has to be more mechanical. Right. Right. Because the GM is not making as much of a decision. Right. Whereas the player can make the decision. Right. You know. Um, so, yeah. And every time I played Monster Hearts, it's always this really fun thing. And, you know, I we always have like all these different chips and you're just accumulating them and not to get off on too much of a, of a broken story but in monster hearts like in the a dungeon world doesn't have this but the original world game which was apocalypse world mm-hmm. you had all these different classes um and every one of them had a sex move mm-hmm. and the game was very much aimed at a mature audience mm-hmm. and part of this in the 90s no 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 no, no. Oh. 20 2010 2009 oh. like 90s was like sex drug and rock it's it's genre appropriate okay. you know it it's like um uh boy, I'm trying to think of a, the right genre, but it's like you know, it's it's a it's a more mature yeah. game. Yep. You know, it's yeah. Logan. Not, oh yeah, yeah. Not, it's rated R. You know, it's rated R. So every character has a, a sex move. Well, Monster Hearts takes this to you know, it's about teen sexuality and um, and stuff like that. And every monster has different sex moves. Um, and the vampires is like, and they're not always good, right? Um, and so a vampire is. The, the, and the, it builds into the way that the game, like each class almost is like, um, uh, it's, it's like a, a, a character in like a MOBA game, right? Like they all have like a, a thing that they're, they're really good at. So mm-hmm. like the vampire is really, really good at, they have powers and they have abilities at basically just accumulating tons of strings on people Makes sense. through essentially blue balling them. <laughs> Okay, like the vampire is really, really good at being flirtatious and enticing and unachievable and they and like, you know, making people just fall in love with them. And you're just accumulating strings on them like a motherfucker. And then you can use them to kind of do or get whatever you want. But if a vampire ever has sex with someone, 
they lose all their strength that they had on that person because they gave in. Yeah. They gave them what, like, right, oh. that was the one card that you were holding back, you know? Like, you were holding back this, I'm going to have, you know, the vampire's going to sleep with you. And, like, they've been teasing you with it for months and months. But once they finally do that, they lose all their leverage on you because you finally gave them what they wanted the whole time. And now you, you lose all your strings with them. And so we played a game at a Gen Con once. There was a character who I did not have any sort of sexual interest in. I was trying to get with the barista, okay, um, who was a mortal. That was their playbook was a mortal. It was very, you know, you can't help but be like kind of like spoofing at Starbucks. Spoof, yeah, spoofing, uh, spoofing at uh, like a little bit of spoofing at Twilight. Um, so my character was a vampire, but she was female. And she was obsessed with this mortal who was basically like Kristen Stewart's Wait, character. Wait, she was a mortal or immortal? Mortal. Oh, so just mortal. Just a chick at the bar. So One of the playbooks in Monster is Hearts is just oh, the mortal. immortal. Oh, wow. And it basically says, for some odd reason, supernatural creatures are just obsessed with you. <laughs> <laughs> right? I love it. So it's just like Bella. Yeah, 100%. Right? Yeah, 100% yeah, yeah. like yeah, Bella. Like, from, why is this even happening? Why is this even happening? Okay. And in the beginning of the game... As the game starts, like, as you're building this, as you're building a vampire and you're building a mortal, like, the mortal so gets to— you were female Edward. I was female Edward. <laughs> I love it. And love she it. was Bella. Right. Okay, so there was—but here's the thing. I am a male, and the person playing the barista was also a male. Yeah. So you had two guys playing two girls, and I was obsessed with this barista. Yep. But there was another character at the game— Okay, who was uh, uh, secretly worshiping? He had basically he had found some really, really heavily annotated old DMG books and had discovered real ultimate power. Again, making like a a, a joke about like the uh, uh, Jack Chick Jack comic. Jack comic, yeah. And you know he basically had acquired a demonic patron. Great role playing. Okay, and his character basically was like really into death metal and all this sort of stuff. Great RPG. Okay, great RPG. Their character was obsessed with me, and so I was using leverage on them because right. they were obsessed with me. Now, I didn't want Everyone's them. Everyone's obsessed with I didn't want them. No, that's the thing. The mortal wasn't. She was just trying to sell coffee. Yeah, she didn't have any interest <laughs> in me at all. I wanted her. So I was trying to use the demonic dude, and I kept giving him all these strings and all these strings. But in the metagame, outside of the narrative, like that player, the guy playing the demon dude, really wanted to sleep with me so that I would lose all my strings on him because right. I had built up this big cash. Like it's almost like a board game at right. that point, right? Because he's like, man, Derek has five strings on me. I better sleep with him. The only way I can get rid of that, well, he'll never sleep with me because he knows I'll lose it. Right. So I have to figure out a way that he is forced to have to sleep with Jeez. me. So that way this he podcast got dark. <laughs> yeah. So it's a rated R. Yeah. Well, well, basically, it came down to the point where it's like, in the game, he agreed to to consult to his otherworldly demonic patron to cast like a binding spell mm-hmm. on the mortal to make her love me, and I, I agreed to the terms. And so you had to cash in, and so we slept together, and to then, bind that, and, and then I gave all my strings out because to him back to him because that we agreed to it, and then he. Had so he kept his, his word. He did keep his word, you know. But another great, that was a risk. Yeah. Well, there's another there's another monster called the Fey, and the Fey, the creature, it basically is like again they all look like normal teenagers, but they're actually like from the mm-hmm. Fey realm, right? And their thing is all about getting contracts and promises, and they're all it's all good, and they can they can award you with things, and they can give you things, right? But if you break a contract, they have like it gives them like ten strings on you. Oh, oh my gosh! So like if you enter into a contract with a Fey. If you you can't if you break it they just own you right right because it's like that fey kind of dark like like 
as long as you hold up to your end of the bargain. But once you violate that bargain, it's like, you know, Ursula, you know, yeah. like once you violate it, I, yeah. your ass is mine, right? Like even, 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 King, even King Triton can't destroy yep. the contract because this is a, you know, binding, binding. It's like a magical thing. Mm-hmm. right? And so every playbook has this like mini game. Right. That you're playing with the other players at the table. That's interesting. Oh, it's very interesting. I'm more intrigued to play Monster Hearts now. But what you're doing is, while you're doing all that, going to school, you're telling this crazy supernatural teen romance story, and it 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 always ends up being really, really kind of interesting and fun. Um, And uh, I've I've always had a great time playing it, and that's why I said it's such a joy. I enjoy it because I sit down and it's like I can almost be like. Like I'm playing in like a commander game, right? Yep. Like I can almost be like, all right, how do I, right. how do I win? You know, like how do I get my character to to win this game? But you do it in a collaborative role playing game, right? Yeah, it's interesting. So it's, it, that's what makes it so interesting. And then what ends up happening through me trying to be a vampire and gaining these moves, you know. All right. The last thing I'll say about was... Monster Hearts. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> so this is my this is my favorite. Way thing. Off this is my favorite thing about Monster Hearts. Okay. In most Apocalypse World games, all of them, I think, except for Dungeon World, you only have four stats. Right. Okay, most of the time. Um, and in Dungeon, um, um, I think this is Monster Hearts as well as original Apocalypse World, they are hot, cold, um, weird, and violent, I think, are the four. Okay? Hot, cold, violent, and weird. And um, the... When you start the game, uh, just like Dungeon World, every stat kind of has a move attached to it. Mm-hmm. So, like, the hot move is turn someone on, right? You flirt with them. You make them – and it, it turns someone on. It could be sexual, but it even says it doesn't necessarily – they could just be intrigued with you. Right. They're interested in you. They did something. You know, there's there's something about them. You know, it, you know. again, it doesn't have to be sexual. It right. could just be like a personal magnetism. Like, they're just drawn yeah, it's in. Charisma. Charisma. So – you, it's called turn. It's called um, um, turn someone on, and then the, there's a cold move, okay, which is called um, oh fuck, uh, uh, shut someone down, right? Friend zone. No, no, like 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 brutally Just like, embarrass yeah. them. Oh, gosh. You know, like like tell them no, but in a very mean way. Oh, okay. right. Um, and so these are like the moves that you use in terms of the game, and the problem with these moves are like teenager moves, they work, but they have all these like unintentional consequences yeah. that aren't great, okay? So, you know, I'm turning someone on because I want something from them, but I'm also like building up this kind of expectation or right. resentment or something, right? Um, I'm shutting someone down, but I'm also creating anger and disappointment and I, maybe I've ruined, I embarrassed them in front of everybody. As you play Monster Hearts, you gain experience points. And you can become a better vampire. But you also gain, as you go up, they're called growing up moves. And eventually, as you gain more experience, you get access to, you know, you don't have um, turn someone on anymore. You have make someone feel beautiful. Oh, I see. You mature. And you, and you eventually lose, shut someone down, and you gain call people out on their shit. Ah, oh, that's awesome. Okay. That. And those moves. Oh, so it's almost those true moves, development. Those moves do the same thing as the other thing does, but they like. Let Less you, they let you heal. Yeah. They let you like remove. You're like, not only do I shut you down, but I also heal you of a condition. Right. Right. Not only do I make you want to be with me, but I also make you feel better about yourself. You like evolve your character. Well, you grow up. You yeah. mature. 
And so you eventually, as you play through the game, your characters lose these like troubling, problematic teen. And as they grow up, they gain these mature moves. Um, and so you get this wow. really cool set of abilities that eventually able you, like whereas the first abilities are almost like scum and villainy, where it's like right. every time I use this, things seem to get worse. Right. And it's designed that way. Yeah. And then you gain your maturity moves um, if you want to. Right. <laughs> and okay, this is how it, this is how we're supposed to be, right? And then and we can use them to I can still shut someone down, but instead I'm calling them out on their shit. Right. And basically being like, I'm I'm not trying to I'm not trying to insult you. I'm not trying to ruin you. Right. But I'm going to call you on your shit. Yeah, a lot of games evolve the feats or things you get, but it doesn't that or seems power and get stronger. That right. seems more of an actual f change. Correct. Um, and like, like even Dungeon World, you like lay on hands. I know if you like semi fail your thing, you like hurt yourself. But like later on, you don't hurt yourself anymore, and then you can start to heal like better. Sure. Yeah. That's just that's just making the feat better. Sure. Right. It's actually yeah. not. I mean, you are evolving. Yeah. But it's like not, I think like, changing. I, I, like, you. like I think the violence one is like called like lash out uncontrollably and then like the mature one is basically like righteously defend someone you know yeah, what i mean I like that like like it goes from just being like i'm acting out of rage right and i'm just blashing out against me to being like no like i'm in control yeah. here i'm it's just... like a twofold change it's, it's a mechanical change but also a narrative change correct and that is why that is what i call a true uh, role there, you play go, there you go that's why those that is great. why that is the there role play plus the rpg element um and so when you play it you can like play it like a game yeah but you're also like, but wow, we're my character is growing and yeah. they are developing and other people are we're telling this story and you know whatever period of time it is. Um, and uh, there was one epic famous Gen Con where like we played four years of high school. We did we did one game a day for four days, mm -hmm. and each was freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, senior year. That had to be like very interesting from the freshman into the oh, senior. 100%. Right. Yeah, it was it was awesome. Yeah. You know, it was incredible. Uh you know, the the battles won and lost and to see some of the characters you know grow up mm -hmm. and change for the better and to see other characters not, you right. know, um who, you know, cuz yeah, like real life. Right, kind of like <laughs> real life. Um because the problem with the monster is how, that there's always this darkest self. And that's when like the monster gives in. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like you you lose control of this. So anyways, it's a it's a fantastic game. You right. should check it out. Um, and uh, yeah, part two of the podcast, Monster Hearts. Yeah, longest <laughs> podcast ever, I think. But um, yeah, we're right. wrap this up. We, 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 yeah, big time wrap it up. So um, again, I want to say thanks to everybody uh, who joined in uh, and listened. Um, if you're a member of uh, the Patreon, thank you so much for being a supporter. Uh, this podcast is monetized, but you know we make very little money. Um, we 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 are able to do this thanks to the the generosity and the largesse of our wonderful Patreon community, 154 members strong and growing. And I want to say thanks to each and every single one of them. And if you are interested in joining our Patreon, then head over to patreon.com slash Knights of Last Call. You can also just do a Google search for us. Um, we've got a YouTube channel. We've got the podcast. We've got the Patreon. Um, and if you do join the Patreon, you'll get access to all those cool Northern Reaches story. Maybe you can be the next person to uh, delve into the depths of Bob's mysterious undead tomb. Maybe. Um, and maybe you could be the one that stops the resurrection of Triune. Who knows what's going to happen with that? It does. We all, we, we, we don't, don't know. We Stay don't know. Tuned. We don't know. If you have, a, if you think you want to make that known, and you're not, you should get in on the game. Yep. Uh, so, anyways, uh, I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode. So, I want to say thanks, Bob, for the story. Yep. And uh, let me just say, uh, you know, uh, yeah, round of applause for Bob. Very proud of you. I sounds like you know I was that good. Or, yeah, you know, you're, good. You're, good. <laughs> it sounds cocky, but I. I Judging my grades in night school, um, I thought I kind of didn't do didn't do as well on this, no, yeah. but now I'm getting like 
sort of praise and I'm very confused. <laughs> like I, well, I did well, but I didn't think I did well. <laughs> yeah, that's great. All right, everybody. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time on Nights of Last Call.